Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the secret to making your son never relevant. Tonight, we're getting ready to dive into the big one as we discuss the ending of Dragon Ball Super with the Tournament of Power. This saga spans over 50 episodes, so on this episode of Instant Transmission, we're separating it into two parts. We'll be discussing the first half on this part one, leading us all the way up to episode 105. I'm your host, Aiden, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And with such a mountain of content to cover, we'll be cutting this co- through this content a little quicker than normal, only covering points more relevant to the story and characters a little bit more precisely than in previous episodes. But before we get started, was there anything you wanted to cover, uh, Todd, before we get into the episode breakdowns? Not much. I did just kind of want to add to what you were saying, Dayton, and that we might not cover every single minor character's name because there's a ton of them in this tournament. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. And and we are going to kind of speed through some of the less relevant episodes and just kind of cover the uh, the main topics in each episode. So it'll be a little bit different from our usual format. Yeah, but with that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into episode 77. Let's do it, Omni King, the universe's greatest martial arts tournament. And right away, we start off with something new, and that's going to be a new intro with new music. And uh, I gotta say, I actually like this one. Yeah, I like this one a lot, too. Uh, Some of the other ones I haven't been a big fan of in Super, but this one hits well. It's got all the right elements. It's fun. It's fast paced. There's uh, tons of fighting. So it's the first time I saw it, I liked it. And then the second time I saw it, I still liked it. So it 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 ages well. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And we kind of break into the episode after this new intro, uh, getting us a little bit pumped up here. Uh, the, the main notes that I have for this one is that Goku talks to the Grand Zenos about having a multi-universe tournament. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because the Zenos actually almost kind of forgot about it until Goku brings it back up. And so the ball is rolling on this thing again, and we're we're getting a throwdown between all the greatest fighters in all the universes. Right. And we basically get the the tournament of power is kind of declared by the Grand Zenos. And as the episode goes through, we find out that each universe has to present 10 fighters 10 of their best fighters for what is going to be i believe they revealed to us here uh what is going to be a battle royale fight uh which is something new something different something exciting for dragon ball yeah it's i mean honestly it's going to be a number of fighters that we've never really seen on screen at once and on top of that it's going to be capable fighters it's not just a bunch of frieza's henchmen Every single one of these fighters is going to be high caliber. Right. The only other detailed note here that I wanted to point out is there's a moment where Beerus actually threatens to destroy Goku just because Goku is treating Zeno so friendly and taking him so lightly. And Beerus almost uses his destruction powers on Goku before Goku uses the button to go see Zeno. I thought it was kind of an interesting moment of just like, darkening the tone and really showing how uh how beerus can act when he's not just being friendly with people and we also get to see that goku really doesn't take any of this very seriously beerus's threats to i mean not just i guess kill goku but to obliterate him from existence and then how just easily and flippantly he goes to just talk to god 
<laughs> it's it's kind of insane, but I guess that's Goku. He doesn't really think about things that deeply. Right. And that's kind of what we're used to with Goku. I think that pretty much covers my notes for that one. Did you have anything else, Dayton? Uh, I mean, other than just uh, everyone's looking for training partners and ways to train during this time, that's about it for that episode. And I think that leads us right into episode 78 which is the universe's gods are aghast losers will be obliterated at the tournament of power and that title alone pretty much tells you what the big surprise is exactly and so we we get a lot of uh, this episode is a bit of an info dump which is fine we're learning about the tournament uh basically we find out that the tournament is in what they call the null realm where there is nothing to destroy there so they can kind of go all out all of the most powerful fighters in the universes and we also find out there's going to be a prize for the universe that wins uh well technically kind of two things uh, one though is that they will the the winner from the tournament or from the universe that survives is going to be granted the super dragon balls for one wish with the super dragon and the other prize is that uh you get to continue existing yay which begs the question why would that be a prize and it's because if you lose your entire universe will be obliterated. And that includes the Kais and the Destroyer Gods. Right. Now it does exclude the angels of those universes. They are they will not be destroyed with the universe and with the gods of destruction or the Kais. So they really don't have any skin in the fight as they're mostly just guides anyway. But for people like Whis, that's good news. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whis does not seem very, uh, very upset about this whole situation. However, Beerus is not very happy about it. Uh, rightly so. He's pretty afraid for his well-being. After this news is broke, though, we find that the two Zennies, one of them has never seen a martial arts tournament before. And so the decision is made to kind of throw a run-up tournament to the Tournament of Power so that way, both of them will have exposure to martial arts tournaments. Right. Our, our Zeno from Universe 6, or I'm sorry, Universe 7, he he got to see the Universe 7 and Universe 6 tournament. However, the Zeno from the future timeline, or I guess from Trunks' timeline, so our Zeno actually covers all the universes, but then we've got the future timeline uh, where that Zeno did not get to see the Universe 6 and Universe 7 tournament. Uh, and so they decide to have Universe 7 put forth three fighters against three fighters from Universe 9. Yeah, and so we're getting three fighters per side, and immediately Goku is uh, tasked with tracking down two more fighters. Right. And it, that does seem pretty easy until he speaks to Vegeta, who is currently waiting on his next child to be born. And so Vegeta actually bows out of this tournament, making things a little bit more complicated. Yeah, it's a big surprise, especially throughout all of Super. I mean, Vegeta's kind of been the the number two guy. It's all about Goku and Vegeta. Uh, and so Goku has to find two other powerful fighters, uh, and he's got plenty to pull from. Um, but he, I think Vegeta is actually the one who suggests Gohan. 
Yeah, and when Vegeta suggests, have you asked your son, Goku's response is, well, no, I think Goten's a little too young for that, before he realizes that he has another son. Which is uh, kind of just ripping on Gohan more and more and more. <laughs> oh, yeah, they pile it on. So yeah. after realizing that uh, uh, he has a son that is old enough to fight in a tournament, uh, Goku, with a little bit of hesitation, um, decides to go ask Gohan if he would like to fight in the tournament. And on top of Gohan, I believe Boo is the other candidate that he's going to select. Right, which is an interesting choice. Uh, Boo didn't get to fight or fell asleep during the Universe 6 and Universe 7 tournament. Uh, and Boo is arguably one of the most powerful beings probably in the whole universe. So it's, I mean, it's not a bad pick by any means. Yeah, and this episode actually kind of boogies along pretty quick. Um, Goku, after recruiting Boo and Gohan, um, he pretty much has his team and they shoot off to the tournament um right hercule kind of accompanies them because he's more or less boo's handler and that's kind of his role in this whole thing but they make it to the tournament they realize that they're fighting what looked like kind of like dog folk for lack yeah. of a better word canine um, people of some kind yeah and we really don't get a a whole lot of pre-information on these fighters when they show up to the the tournament but what we do know is that Boo's going to be up first. He's the first fighter from Universe 7. Right. And so they basically show, um, they sh they basically begin the fight uh, with Boo and Basil. And we get to see this canine fighter, Basil, likes to use kicks uh, and we just get like the very taste of the fight between them before this episode wraps up. And I think that pretty much just runs us right into the next episode. Yeah. That's going to bring us right into episode 79 universes, nines kicker basil versus universes, sevens Majin boo. Yeah. So they, they basically continued the fight between Boo and Basil. Uh, Basil's kind of kicking Boo around, blows a hole in him with one of his key blasts. Uh, he, he doesn't even seem to use his hands pretty much at all. Uh, and Boo is just taking this beating. Like he, at one point, is laughing through the beating. Uh, he gets the hole blown through him. He kind of regrows his stomach where he has the hole. And he gets his head kicked in. And he just laughs through it all. And eventually Basil gets to the point uh, where Boo starts to retaliate and Basil actually turns to his, uh, his team and he's like, hey, give me the good stuff. Well, Boo actually, um, he actually defeated Basil, but the Zenos were actually unhappy with the match. They were not entertained. And so they demanded right. that the match keep going forward which shows that the rules are whatever the Omni Kings say they are. And that's kind of a, that's going to be a theme we see going forward. They only care about the entertainment factor. Now the defeat was the defeat. The, was it the ring out? Is that right? Yes. Because, mm -hmm. because Goku was basically trying to say like, Hey, that's how our tournaments are run on earth. You know, we've got the ring outs and then, yeah, the Zenos were, we still want to see more fighting. <laughs> yeah, the Grand Minister pretty much clarified that we don't really have all the rules worked out yet, but whatever the Grand Minister or whatever the Omni King say flies. And so they right. they decide to keep the match going and kind of beaten back and definitely losing the match. That's when 
a power up. I don't know how else to describe it is thrown to Basil to continue the fight. And you see energy kind of wash over him. You see him bulk up and you see him just kind of increase in power. And normally these kinds of power ups and items are illegal in tournaments. But once again, right. the Omni Kings think, well, well, this is more entertaining. So we allow it. Yeah, and this this power up it reminded me a little bit of maybe the the tree of might, the fruit from the tree of might. It looks like some sort of little fruit that gets thrown to Basil, and he eats it, and he gets jacked up, gets juiced, uh, and I mean he he basically fights Boo for a while longer. Uh, same kind of thing where he eventually just kind of runs out of steam, runs out of gas. Uh, it seems like this fruit or whatever this power-up was kind of uh, runs its toll on his body yeah and boo is definitely as far as an attrition fight you couldn't ask for a better fighter he's yeah pretty much immune to damage unless you completely kill him he just gets angry and just has this endless well of energy and just i mean it's it's an all right fight boo does some stretch armstrong stuff which is kind of entertaining and you see him you know you get the comical he gets a hole blasted in him and then he's like oh well i gotta fix that and then he pops it back closed and you get some light boo-ness out of it but otherwise it's kind of a i mean it's as far as this little expo tournament it's probably the worst fight of the three but it's okay yeah and dayton and i talked about this a little bit beforehand i i don't like how this fight ends in particular because boo almost uses like his own version of a kamehameha and to me that is it's just boring it doesn't feel very unique to boo at all and Boo is such a unique character and has so many unique moves that I would have liked to have seen something a little bit more flavorful for him as a fighter. Yeah, he's kind of a forever child, and he's he's known for throwing tantrums and getting angry. And you want to see something that reflects that, not just your bargain bin key blast, for lack of a better way of describing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But... That pretty much wraps up that episode. That whole episode kind of covers the fight between Boo and Basil. And I think that moves us on to the next episode. Yeah. Um, so right towards the end, end of that episode, we get introduced oh. to a character named Lavender. He's the next, I guess, dog folk of the the trio of dogs. And once he's introduced, the episode ends, and that leads us right into episode 80, which is Awaken, Awaken Dormant Fighting Spirit, Sun Gohan's Battle. And right at the beginning, we get this. They pointed it out before, but they're discussing it now. The fact that they can't sense the energy of these dog fighters. And we get some advice to Gohan from Goku, which I don't think I've ever seen Goku follow, but it's advice given nonetheless. He tells Gohan not to play wait and see with an opponent whose energy you can't sense, which I love that advice. Just the person who's giving it, I've never once ever seen follow that advice. <laughs> yeah, and that's a really good point. I do like that Goku is taking on the mentor role here for Gohan, especially because Gohan's kind of been out of the fighting game for a while. But yeah, the advice that he gives is kind of very bizarre for him. I mm. guess it's it's kind of interesting advice for Gohan in particular, though, because there are multiple instances where Gohan just doesn't use his full power. I mean, especially throughout Z, there are multiple times where he doesn't use his full power until he 
gets angry or has something to yeah. protect or even against like cell uh, gohan wasn't going all out against cell and even against boo against super boo when he came in with his mystic form he just didn't go all, all out right away so i like the advice for gohan but not coming from goku <laughs> yeah so we get that advice and quite frankly i we brought this up before we started the uh, the podcast, but I like the pacing of this little expo tournament because we had a, a full fight wrapped up in the previous episode, and this episode is turning out the same way. We right. get Gohan jumping into the ring. We get a little bit of advice from Goku, and the fighting starts immediately. And it doesn't take long into the fight where we see what, what's his name, Basil? Uh, Lavender. Lavender. Uh, what Lavender's kind of shtick is, and he uses poison as his secret weapon. And when Gohan kind of gets caught mid-punch, he gets sprayed in the face with poison, and he's blinded at this point. And Gohan has to continue the fight without the use of his eyes. Right. This Lavender is much, much more interesting to me than Basil. He comes in, he's got kind of this wild, crazy look on his face and his eyes and his smile. And even the voice actor the, for the English dub does a good job with these kind of wild laughs. And uh, yeah, he he immediately blinds Gohan. And so Gohan has to figure out a different way to fight this guy. He's basically getting getting beat up at the at the start of the match and uh he's at an immediate disadvantage and i think the team kind of starts to say like the team on the side goku and the others start to say things about giving gohan a sensu bean yeah and we gohan, get the, the supreme kai bringing up hey they used an item why can't we use one as well and suggest giving gohan a sensu bean and immediately gohan kind of denies it and shoots it down he yeah. says he needs to win this on his own. So this is kind of a growing moment for Gohan to, to kind of prove to himself that he can do it and grow as a fighter. I like this a lot. I this is I mean, it feels very much like this is a very Saiyan move to make, right? Like this is, you know, part of my pride. This is uh, I need to do this on my own. And it, it's also, again, like you said, it's a good growing moment for Gohan because Gohan's been out of the fighting game and he wants to see what he can do with his own power, with his own, you know, knowledge and kind of go from there. Yeah. And we kind of see the, I guess the brains of Gohan going to work here when he kind of takes a minute to kind of exhale and calm down and he starts working on other ways to sense his opponent. And we see Lavender kind of circling and cackling and having a good time. And, you know, it's, it's tough for Gohan because once again, he can't sense his energy and so he starts relying on other senses. And at this point, right. Gohan's able to kind of start predicting and figuring out Lavender's avenues of attacks. And this is where we start seeing a little bit of a change in the momentum of the fight. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Gohan starts, he can hear some of the footsteps and whatnot, maybe feel them and the vibrations and the floor. And so he starts uh, even blinded, beating up on Lavender a little bit. And then Lavender changes tactics again. Uh, so these both of these fighters are adapting as the fight goes on, which I like a lot in this really fight. good fight. I really enjoyed this fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this one's much more interesting than Boo's fight. But Lavender basically uses a new tactic. So he just flies up into the air and begins to float around so that Gohan has a much harder time sensing where he's at. 
Yeah, and after taking kind of a, a couple devastating blows, and at this point the poison's starting to start biting into Gohan and wearing away at him. Right. Gohan figures out, once again, adapting another way to to sense lavender. He fires up into his his Super Saiyan form, and once he's in this form, he's able to kind of sense the attacks of Lavender. And what he's doing is he's projecting energy out of his body and then picking up on where it reflects from. And that's how he's detecting where Lavender's at. He's almost using like bat radar or sonar location or something like that. It's it's really neat. I actually really, really like this. I like this a lot, too. I, I think I think the Supreme Kai even describes it as a type of like radar or sonar. Uh, and this i mean while goku is an incredible fighter the adaptability of gohan in this fight really expresses how intelligent gohan is which i like a lot yeah this isn't a situation where he just uses brawn to overcome his opponent it's no it's he's adapting he's using different tactics he's relying on different senses and i like the opponent too because he creates a, a different kind of obstacle for the z fighter to have to overcome he's not just the big brute which we'll see in the next episode oh uh, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh what we find out we can see we can visibly see this poison spreading through gohan's body his skin kind of turning purple and he eventually after you know gaining the advantage once again he he basically gasses himself and i think Weiss kind of calls it and uh Gohan drops out of the Super Saiyan form, um, kind of gasping for air. You can see the uh, poison spreading almost across his whole body at this point. And I think Whis might be the one who describes the fact that the Super Saiyan power-up helps spread the poison through his body even faster. Uh, maybe whether it be like his his power going up or you know more adrenaline and blood pumping through his body, however you want to figure that out in your own mind but uh i think we call it kind of a double-edged sword yeah that that tremendous power and the ability to to locate his opponent it's causing the poison to quicken so now if gohan wants to keep fighting he's on a severe time limit right and i think lavender gets a little bit cocky here but gohan just goes right back into super saiyan um I mean, almost certainly partly because that's the only way he can sense Lavender at this point. But Gohan's basically just going to try to push through this and finish the fight before something terrible happens to him. Yeah, and, we get a, a pretty tremendous key struggle between Lavender and Gohan. And then um, after what looks like losing the struggle, Gohan kind of takes advantage of the the momentary pause afterwards to grab a hold of Lavender and drag him like way up into the air turn yeah. and then start meteoring back into the ground just both of them plummeting towards the arena it's a really cool moment uh, there's basically like a smoke screen from the the key exchange and gohan uses that moment where lavender kind of lets his guard down to grab him uh and after he kind of power bombs him i think gohan gets up for a moment and says something to the effect of like, I won, but then just falls over unconscious. Yeah. And even though the, the match is ruled as a, a draw because neither fighter is capable of standing at this point, it felt like I felt that victory for Gohan. It felt really good. I, this fight was so fun and so good. 
It's a really good fight, and it's it's kept very close. It's not just who is the stronger fighter. There's lots of tactics and lots of adapting to the other fighter's style. Uh, it For being kind of a throwaway fight, it's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's And like I said, the pacing of the, the Zeno Expo, I had a lot of fun with, and this fight was fantastic. Um, yeah. I I also like seeing characters that aren't Goku fighting other opponents, and especially when they're interesting opponents. I very much agree. I think that pretty much ends the episode. I think we might get a quick glimpse of the eldest brother, Bergamo. And we, we do get see... a small info dump at the end of this episode, a oh. very small one. Um, we get an announcement by the Grand Minister that uh, Universe 7 is the second weakest universe by power. Right, you're right. And Universe 9, which is the universe they're they're doing this expo with, is the weakest universe. He also, this is where he makes the big announcement that the universes in the Tournament of Power will be obliterated if they fail to win. And there were all the other universes where they are kind of watching and witnessing this. So now... Every universe, everyone knows what's at stake at this point, and there's this kind of ruckus over what's going on. Um, we also uh, know that universes 1 and 12 and 5 and 8 are exempted from participating in the tournament since they have high power levels. So we do know that the top four universes, as far as power go, aren't participating. So we get kind of a lot of information about this multiverse thing and where everyone stands. Right. And they even, they, they kind of called it mortal levels too. So I was almost uncertain if they were even referring to power levels or if they had some sort of other scale for measuring mortal levels, whatever that means. I guess I didn't but, really think about that. I just assumed power levels. Right. I was trying to figure out if that's exactly what they meant or not. But regardless, we basically find out that Universe 9 and Universe 7 are the two lowest on the totem pole. Uh, and that's kind of why they chose them to fight in this little expo tournament. I mean, I, I do kind of like it. It kind of lets you know that uh, Universe 7 is going to be on the back foot during this whole thing, so it it adds a little bit more more tension to this whole thing. They're kind of the underdog, I guess, right? Yeah, you always got to root for the underdog, too. Exactly, exactly. I think that pretty much takes us into the next episode. Then. Yes, episode 81. Crusher Bergamo versus Son Goku, who has sky high power. And yeah. uh, if you want to cruise through this episode, this is not my favorite fight. It's also not the most interesting fight. Yeah, the only thing that I want to talk about here is kind of what you were touching on in the last episode is the fact that Bergamo, before the fight begins, he asks Zeno or the Zenos to rescind their rule about destroying the universes uh, after the during the tournament of power. And the caveat here is that Bergamo has to beat Goku. And if Bergamo wins the match against Goku, the Zenos will rescind that ruling. And funny enough, the Zenos agree to it. Uh, (laughs) This makes pretty much everybody here because all of the gods of destruction and the angels for their universes and the Kais are watching this expo. And so all of them begin rooting against Goku in this exhibition match. 
So Goku's already kind of painted as the bad guy, and Goku's kind of in a rough spot too because they let him know very clearly that as if they sense that he's throwing the match or not trying, they'll just obliterate all the universes anyway. The funny part about that, though, is that you get the impression from Goku's demeanor here that, that he didn't had matter. N- <laughs> he had no inclination to throw he was this gonna fight. Try no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which I love because it's like <laughs> Goku. The one time you just you just you know throw this one fight, you could save billions of people just make it fun just make a little rule that you can't go into super saiyan or any of your other forms like just make a match out of it just there are ways to lose and still try like i love this this is fantastic like this uh so we are watching the english dub uh, and a lot of people, especially for Dragon Ball Z, state that Goku's character was changed a lot from the original material because he's treated much more as like a, a superhero in Dragon Ball Z in the, the Funimation dub. And in the, the Japanese, he's not really a hero. Like, he just likes to fight strong people. And this moment for the Tournament of Power and this Zeno Expo is the perfect example of that where... Goku is an incredibly selfish character. (laughs) He cares about himself and he cares about fighting strong opponents. And if that means that he can save and help his family and friends, great. But that's not his main priority. Yeah, he almost like kind of embraces being the quote unquote bad guy a little bit because he's it's an excuse to fight people. and, And if it makes everyone want to fight him, then he's cool with that. Exactly. So I thought that was hilarious, but that kind of takes us into the fight with Bergamo versus Goku. And this one's like Dayton said, it's a little bit bland. Uh, this guy basically can take a, a beating. Bergamo can basically take hits and then kind of get bigger, get stronger, and then dish that out to his opponent. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's still more or less brute strength. He just needs to get punched to get his brute strength. Uh, about the only thing I really like about this fight is there's kind of a, a nice little panning shot of Goku kind of flying around Bergamo and punching him. And it's kind of happening in real time where each time Goku lands a, a hit, Bergamo kind of grows a little bit and then swings again and Goku will swing around and hit him again and it'll grow. Like, it felt really kind of dynamic and living and i like that one panning shot but other than that it's you can tell goku doesn't really need to try during this fight and whenever that's the case the fight becomes way way less interesting to me i very much agree i think the only little thing that i kind of like about this fight is similar to that dynamic shot that you're talking about is that goku is actually using bergamo's size and is deliberately giving him power to increase his size and then using Bergamo's size to uh, to take advantage of his blind spots at that point, because Goku is so small relative to him. And eventually Goku just kind of like juices this guy up to where he can barely even stand in the ring. Uh, and then finally, uh, after, you know, mostly fighting in base form and Super Saiyan, I think he goes up to Super Saiyan Blue, uses Kaioken and Super Saiyan Blue and gives Bragamo a Kamehameha and just dusts the guy. With, I mean, doesn't doesn't kill him, but 
knocks him out without a problem. Listen, I'm going to have to uh, agree with Beerus on this whole fight. And uh, to quote Beerus, I'm so tired of these Saiyans making every battle they're in harder than it needs to be. It's such a great comment because <laughs> it's it's almost kind of making fun of Dragon Ball for Dragon Ball fans. And mm, I love it's that. It's self-aware. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> oh shoot. Yeah. When he as soon as he said that, I was just, yep, that's it. That's how I feel about this whole thing. Thank you, Beerus. I, I agree. Beerus for president. That's right. He's kind of uh expressing what the audience feels in some of these moments. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love in jokes like that. They're very fun. I do like that uh after Goku beats Bergamo, he then threatens to be every warrior from every other universe. <laughs> it's so good. Like Goku is the perfect bad guy in this instance oh. i love it it's like you're not very self-aware are you okay all right yep, i love it <laughs> <laughs> and so we once this match finishes we get somebody who's kind of been like a cloaked figure with universe 11 this entire time kind of jump into the ring with goku before goku steps out and we find out this guy's name is top or topo is what i'm used to calling him in the japanese version but he he basically reveals himself he's kind of this big burly brawny guy and he's wearing like a red and black leotard almost like it's i mean it, it's very super sentai like very power rangers-esque and uh he's got this sweet big mustache but he challenges goku he says hey fight me here and now and is kind of like presenting this as another uh, option for the uh, Zenos to watch another sweet fight. Yeah, and uh, the Zenos agree to it, and we're kind of left with this mysterious Top or Tapo kind of squaring off against Goku, and that leads us right into episode 82, Never Forgive Son Goku, the warrior of justice Tapo intrudes. And this is great because... Top is basically considered to be, I mean, he's he's a warrior of justice and he's really hamming that up here. And he's uh, very similar to Bergamo. He's putting Goku on this pedestal of the villain. And uh, it, I, I do really love that kind of, I guess, gag or whatever you want to call it, that that Goku is being portrayed as the villain and just everybody accepts it. <laughs> and, and Goku even kind of accepts it. He doesn't care. It's so good. It's great. I love this because from our perspective, the audience's perspective of watching Dragon Ball for five, 600 episodes at this point, it is, uh, we, we're always perceiving Goku as being the good guy, stopping the bad guys, saving the world. Uh, and, Kind of flipping that on its head here is is excellent, especially with Goku just going with it. Oh, yeah, he doesn't care. It's it, whatever, you, as long as you fight me, is kind of exactly. Goku's mentality. Uh, <laughs> one thing I want to point out is that immediately, and I felt this the first time I watched uh, Dragon Ball Super, and I felt it again the second time I watched it, I get such strong Ginyu Force vibes from top. Me too. And in the future, we'll see the Pride Troopers. It just... It, it tickles the right itch or whatever you want to call it. It's it. I love them. The, that kind of shtick or that mentality so much. I actually have a note about that here too, because, uh, because 
top is basically doing all those posing and kind of mm-hmm. being like show a sh- big showboat. And there's an amazing comment to me in here from Gohan where uh, I think somebody like the Supreme Kai or Beerus is saying like, this guy is really over the top and kind of ridiculous. And Gohan is oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I think he's pretty awesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's Which, buying into those action poses. I love this for Gohan, especially because it's a nod to his time with the Ginyu Force, like seeing the Ginyu Force in very formative years as a child. And then on top of that, Gohan doing all of the great Saiyaman stuff in high school. Saiyaman! (laughs) So this just plays into that that whole theme with Gohan, and I absolutely love that. Uh, it, it it really does make me laugh, especially when they're serious about it. Like, yeah, we're this this is awesome, right? Yeah, okay, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! All right, so after some uh, some sweet poses, the fight kicks off, and I think Goku jumps right into Super Saiyan form in this one, right? I think he does. I think he starts to. I mean, he doesn't want to take Top too lightly, uh, and. Top kind of fights almost like a, what I would imagine like a pro wrestler fighting. Like he he basically gets Goku into a an arm joint lock, like with his shoulder right off the bat, and then he grabs Goku in this big bear hug and just begins crushing him with all of his might. And we basically Goku, uh, I think he has to use Super Saiyan Blue to get out of that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and right before he does, um, I I do want to call out uh the Shemmel screams. They're very very good here. Um, once again, that guy when he does the Goku in pain, like that like blood curdling kind of, oh, just makes your spine just kind of tingle a little bit. It's there's something about his ability to really convey the amount of pain that Goku's in in these situations where you're really concerned for his life. And I just I wanted to point that out because I I know we've pointed it out a couple other times. But once again, we get to see it here and it's still good. That's a good call out. Shemmel does a great job. Uh, eventually, Goku gets out of that bind with Super Saiyan Blue. We get to see Top's Justice Flasher, which is basically a bunch of key blasts coming out of each of his fingers. and. Goku has a pretty cool moment where he uses the Super Saiyan Blue Kamehameha with an instant transmission teleport. And uh, I mean, Top takes it. So we can tell that Top is he's a strong dude. Uh, And at that point, the Grand Priest calls an end to the fight, stating that he doesn't want any of the Tournament of Power competitors to be killed prior to the tournament. Yeah, it's I mean, it's definitely kind of a kind of a blue ball moment here, but it's I mean, it if you want to, I guess, write in a hook to keep watching, that's that's a pretty good one right there. We'll see this play out a little bit later because Goku, Goku wants more of top. He wants that. He's got a fight boner for Top right now, and he yeah, wants to satisfy that. He's kind of given Top a stare down towards the end of the episode, and he actually reaches his hand out to shake his hand, and Top refuses to do it because he does not shake the hands of villains. And so that good. just, oh, oh, you're creating such a good dynamic between these two characters. Yeah, I, I really love this. And so I think the Grand Priest basically states that the Tournament of Power will be held uh, within 40 hours uh, and they're going to spend some time putting the ring together. And 
in that time, each universe has to collect their team and put together these 10 fighters. Yeah, and we're kind of tipped off to uh, Top is not even the strongest fighter in his universe. That's where we first hear about the warrior Jiren. And this is going to be a name that's very important going forward. Yeah, I... For the most part, I think that covers everything for my notes for that episode. Did you have anything else, Dayton? No, I think um, I think this is a good time to kind of let's do a little bit of a breakdown of the the I guess the the Zeno Expo is what I'm going to call it. And um, as far as the the first, I don't know, half a dozen episodes or so, I really enjoyed the Zeno Expo. Um, I thought it was fun. It was fast paced. The the what. <laughs> The dog folks were were fairly entertaining overall. At least uh, Gohan's fight was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and there's kind of a lot of information that's kind of dumped about the Tournament of Power during this time. So not only is there some good fights, there's also a lot of information. So a lot of these episodes, I think, are really necessary. They're the pacing's fairly good. The fighting is fairly good. And yeah, I kind of I kind of enjoy all the run up to the Zeno Expo and the Zeno Expo itself. I would agree. I the only thing that I would say is that and I guess this is really kind of the same for really any tournament, but there's there's not a lot of stakes for the fights in this tournament in particular. Um, but with that said, I very much agree with you. I like uh in particular, Gohan and Lavender's fight is excellent. And there's some fun stuff in the fight with Brogamo. Uh, there's some okay stuff in the fight with Boo. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Boo use some more of his, you know, signature techniques. But uh, they did a good job. The The pacing was good. They didn't drag out the fights too long. And it sets up or sets the stage for the tournament of power, especially uh, I think everybody could probably tell by the way we're talking about it. We both really like the fact that Goku is being treated as the villain here and that there are also fighters who are basically being treated as the good guys to fight the villain Goku. This is a dynamic that as far as I can remember, we haven't seen in Dragon Ball and I like it. No. And like, I'm, I'm definitely going to look at this very favorably because even if um, a couple of the fights weren't fantastic, they're only an episode. You're getting the full fight in an episode. They're not dragging it out. They're not making you wait around to see what happens and kind of there's, there's a weird thing in Dragon Ball where sometimes they try to interject tension where it's not needed or arbitrarily. There's almost none of that here. And I do appreciate that. I'd, I'd rather the fight just be what the fight is versus having arbitrary tension in the air and i i really did appreciate about that about this it was what it was and yeah there's there's not really a whole lot for me to complain about really other than i could have enjoyed it more hmm? yeah yeah I'll, I'll totally give you that uh they they don't try to do the arbitrary cliffhanger episodes in the middle of a fight or anything like that so i i agree i like the pacing of this quite a bit uh and i for the most part, that's all I've got to say on it. I think that kind of leads us into the kind of next chunk of episodes that we're going to cover. Yeah, and we're we're going to kind of break down all the tournament prep is kind of the the way we're looking at it as. Um, and the tournament prep starts with Dragon Ball Super Episode 83, 
form the Universe 7 team. Who are the strongest 10? And, uh, yeah, I'm going to buzz through episode 83 unless there's anything you really want to dive into. Um, Bulma's pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of the tournament prep ones, I think we're going to kind of zip through these because to me, these are kind of fluff episodes. Uh, Basically, they talk about gathering the team. Uh, I think that we kind of get an idea of the pretty much the entire roster in this episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we they mostly decide on the dream team. They decide on Gohan, Goku, Vegeta, Boo, Krillin, Piccolo, Master Roshi and Android 17 and Android 18 is kind of their what they're thinking for the team and who they want to assemble. Right. Yeah. Which kind of leaves one one spot left. And there's there's a moment where just a little detail that I liked where Vegeta is thinking up names for his daughter uh, and he wants to give her a proper Saiyan name. And one of the ones that he comes up with is Shallot, which I like just because it's, you know, sticking with the vegetable puns. I wish I wanted Shallot. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Uh, but we basically uh, pulls bra from or uh, sorry, Bulla. I hate her English name. I'm going to call her <laughs> bra because it fits with Trunks well, it's the briefs family, briefs. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I hate the name Bulla. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean they, anything. It doesn't no, matter. They're basically censoring the fact that her name is broad. It makes me angry. Uh, <sighs> but. <laughs> But the uh, basically, Weiss magically with his angel ambiguous powers pulls Bra painlessly from the womb, and uh, she is dubbed Bra or Bulla by Balma, and Vegeta is kind of like a little bit miffed about that. Um, but now Vegeta can fight in the tournament because his he's not waiting for his daughter anymore. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Weiss for interfering in the toils of mortals <laughs> yeah basically I, that's pretty much all i've got for that episode that's all i got too and i don't want to talk about the weird little rhyme at the start of it so let's go into episode 84 <laughs> which is son goku the talent scout inviting krillin and number 18 i almost said the the japanese name for krillin um <laughs> goku and gohan uh, both go to visit krillin in 18 to convince them to join the tournament and uh, Gohan is really adamant that they shouldn't tell anybody the truth about what the tournament is about. And so they really kind of piss poorly start lying to really everybody. I'm honestly not a big fan of this whole idea. It just seemed very silly. and <laughs> Like yeah. you're going to go recruit a bunch of people who have fought over the fate of the world or multi multiple worlds and all kinds of other I think they could handle this, but whatever. Here we go. Yeah, I think Krillin is going to basically say the he's going to mirror your thoughts there, Dayton, and kind of say something similar in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. But uh, Goku is basically going to—I mean, spoilers—but Goku is going to get in trouble for lying here, and it's kind of Gohan's fault. Gohan was the one who decided, "Hey, we shouldn't tell everybody about this. You know, the universe is going to be destroyed." Thing. So. Yeah. So Goku starts lying about it, and he comes up with this. Uh, was it 10 million or 1 million zenny lie 10 million yeah if you win the tournament you get a bunch of money and that's the lie he's kind of pushing around 
And it's not really Gohan told him to lie, but Gohan did not tell him how to lie. So this is a Goku lie. It is very bad. And 18 is kind of kind of suspect right off the bat. But that's a lot of money. And so there's kind of, you know, not really a, a ton of pushback, but they agree to enter the tournament. But Gohan wants to test Krillin's skills and power before he lets him join the team because he's worried that Krillin is he's too far gone from fighting. He's too weak at this point. He's too, I guess, unseasoned. And he needs Krillin to prove that he's capable of joining their team. Right. And this is interesting. Uh, this is actually a pretty, I thought it was a pretty fun fight in a way, though brief. Uh, basically, they they fight on top of these rocks, and they're kind of using some of the rules uh, for the tournament of power that were expressed. Where you I think they already said that you cannot fly, and if you get knocked out, uh, you're out. If you get knocked out of the ring, you're out of the the tournament. And so, Krillin kind of attacks Gohan uh, while he's distracted right off the bat, and then Krillin flies up with the sun behind him and uses a solar flare, but he's buffed it up to where it's a solar flare times 100. Uh, and then Krillin kind of uses his, you know, signature move of hiding his key and goes down to the blinded Gohan. It's, it's pretty easy. There's not a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, Super comic guru would agree. <laughs> Super there comic wasn't guru very analysis. much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Krillin hiding his very small key uh, trips Gohan and then kind of like body checks him off the rocks. And I thought this was pretty cool. This is pretty savvy on Krillin's part. Um, what did you think about this, Dayton? I actually enjoyed this fight. Um, it's It's interesting because it's, it's trying to show how clever Krillin is versus how strong he is. And yeah. in a tournament like this, where brute strength is actually could even be a hindrance, because if you kill somebody, you're actually disqualified. So discretion is actually a very important feature of a fighter. Good point. And just, I mean, it's fun seeing kind of Krillin pull one over on Gohan and, and Krillin is a much more seasoned, experienced fighter than Gohan. So this is absolutely believable to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, to add to that too, and I, I know Krillin's probably your favorite character. Yes. <laughs> the Krillin, pretty much throughout all of, maybe all, certainly all of Dragon Ball Z, but maybe even all of Dragon Ball, has been the underdog. He's been one of the weaker Z fighters, and he's been surrounded by people who are stronger than him and always having to fight against people stronger than him. And he's always hung in there, at least through like the Cell Saga anyway. And uh, so he has to be tactical. He's had to figure this stuff out because he doesn't have the raw power that all the Saiyans have. Yeah, and if uh, if he had that sane power to get stronger after losing a fight, he'd probably be the strongest fighter in the universe. But unfortunately, he just gets his butt kicked and then has to recover like you and I. So there's no, there's no magical... Saiyan juice that's making him stronger whenever he fights it's it's all hard work and it's all mental it's there's no secret way for him to to win a fight he has to win it and he has to win it cleanly right right so i i liked how they presented this fight i thought it was really well done and 
we basically move on from that little skirmish to Goku wanting to take on Krillin now. And so they basically take the fight to this uh, on top of this building where they kind of have this built arena. I think I'm going to go ahead and say that the second fight felt completely unnecessary. (laughs) And I say that because it's like, all right, cool. Krillin just proved that he's capable of hanging with Gohan and, and competing in the tournament and he's clever and like, yeah, he should be a part of the team. And now Goku's fighting him because I think Goku just wants to fight him. It felt very just, why, why are we here? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like you could maybe explain it away by the fact that Goku wants to size up Krillin or maybe Goku wants to challenge Krillin. But but I, I see your point, like Krillin already kind of proved himself. But uh, however, I think, again, they do a pretty good job of showcasing Krillin's tactical ability in this fight. I think it's a pretty fun fight for me. Uh, what do you think here, Dayton? It, it, I think it's okay. Um, I'm, I like that Krillin tried to, I guess, distract Goku with his destructo, multi-destructo disc, and he cut a hole in the floor, and Goku almost fell through it. And, like, it, it was neat, but honestly, there was nothing, there was nothing that was shown here that wasn't already basically shown in his fight with Gohan. That's fair. That's fair. He does have a few different tactics here. Like I, I similarly liked the, the multiple destructo discs. He basically used them and cut the hole in the floor, uh, but tried to make it discreet. And then one of the things that I actually really like in here, even though it doesn't, there's not a lot of payoff for it is Krillin kind of running in and he goes and even calls out solar flare and does kind of the motion for it. But it's it's a fake out like he does that and then fires off some normal key blast. But doing so, he gets Goku to kind of like block his eyes in that brief moment, which I thought was a cool tactic. We don't see those types of fake outs in Dragon Ball very often. Yeah, I did actually like that move as well. Uh, And I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely very Krillin S. It's very just I can't beat you in brute strength, so I'm going to find a different avenue. And I mean, it's it also makes sense, too, because he's fighting Goku, who knows all of his moves and is predicting everything he's going to do. So he's going to that's not a move he's going to use in a fighter. He's he hasn't fought before. That's definitely going to be something he uses in somebody who he has fought before. And I'm glad that he did that there. That really proves that he's kind of adapting his style to who or whatever he's fighting. I agree. That's kind of why I liked a, a couple of the moves that he did in this fight. Uh, but basically we, we end with, or we, we kind of come to the end with, uh, a Kamehameha clash between Goku and Krillin and Goku goes super Saiyan blue to kind of overpower Krillin. And he probably could without it, but I think he wants Krillin to just feel the difference in their power here. And before Goku can land the Kamehameha against Krillin, 18 steps into the fight and she knocks the key blast off target. And uh, she, she kind of points out, Hey, this tournament is not a one-on-one fight. There's going to be teamwork involved here. So she's ready to take on Goku with Krillin in this moment. Yeah. And then I actually, I mean, there's multiple reasons why I like that little kind of exchange there. 
because one, I like that Krell, it shows that Krell kind of has his courage back. He sees Goku power up the blue and he still doesn't back down. I think he, he knows the outcome of the match, but he's, he's going to fight through it and he's, he's showing a lot of courage. And I like that. Yeah. Um, we also get to see one of the rare times where we kind of see the relationship between two characters. We get to see 18 kind of sticking up for Krillin and she's not doing it in a way that kind of degrades Krillin. She's doing it in a way that almost kind of bolsters him and kind of shows her care and respect for him. And I do really like that. And on top of that, we get to see her. There's something that just feels good about seeing her jump next to Krillin and both of them enter fighting stance where it's like, yeah, these two, you know, they're a pair. They're going to work together. And, you know, they there's more going on here than just they happen to be in a relationship. It's I like it. I like that they show them together. It's much better than like Goku and Chi Chi. <laughs> I can say that. But I mean, it's a lot of fun and it didn't feel out of character for 18 either. So I think they did it well. I very much agree with you. I, I wanted to hear your take on that. And there are very few couples, very few coupled characters that we get to see fight together, fight in tandem. Like we never really get to see Goku and Chi Chi, uh, obviously not Vegeta and Balma. Balma's not a fighter. Even like Videl and Gohan. Uh, I I don't even think we get to see them fight together in the Boo saga or anything really. And and so getting to see Krillin and 18 square up together, I got a huge grin on my face seeing that. It was very fun for me. I mean, I like it. I like their relationship a lot too. There's a lot me of too. 18 kind of pushing Krillin to to be more and to continue fighting and reach that next level. And I really, really like that dynamic. And I like that 18's kind of cool and confident and sometimes kind of... Uh, cold and calculated and Krillin kind of brings that kind of more human side to her. And it's, it's a fun relationship. I, I, I do enjoy it. Yeah. They, they both like to, you can tell that they care about each other, but they both like to kind of tease and push one another too, which I like. There's a lot of push and pull there, which is fun. And we basically, the, even though they square up together and they're ready to fight together, we, we do stop the fight there. We don't get to see 18 and Krillin really working together in this moment. Uh, Goku kind of, I think, says that, you know, he he's seen enough. He knows, you know, that they that Krillin is confident that 18 and Krillin, you know, have this bond and can fight together. So it kind of stops. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode here. Yeah, the about the last thing we see is that Goku now is going to track down Android 17. That's kind of the last thing that's mentioned in this episode, but that leads us right into episode 85. The universes get into gear, each one's motive. And we, I believe, start out with the 11th universe Kai calling a meeting with the Kais of the other universes, but excluding the Kai from our universe. There's kind of this, I don't know, this, this weird discussion about how they're going to talk to the the zennies and try and get them to to change the rules of the tournament and spare them and it, maybe if they all plead together in one voice they can change the the rules of the tournament but all this kind of quickly goes to hell when none of them can get along for five seconds and between all the infighting and bickering it all just sorts of falls apart you see you see a lot of the the same flaws in mortals and all these divine beings. And it's one of those little things that I do actually like that. They took the time to do that. 
That's a good point. I, I like your, your take on that. I, I didn't even, I kind of skipped over that part, but it does a good job of reflecting uh, kind of mortal flaws in deific beings. And as that kind of falls apart, I think we get to see from there this new Majin Boo in this kind of buff, skinny Boo uh, where he's really hyped up about this tournament because he got really excited about fighting Basil and uh goku's like hey you know this is great like we're gonna have this supercharged majin buu for the tournament awesome yeah i uh don't have much notes on that because i kind of remembered uh what happens uh going forward so i uh, uh may have not taken very many notes in that <laughs> yeah don't blame me there uh basically goku has a little skirmish with buu uh buu uses his stretchy arms blah 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 uh he knocks goku out of bounds so cool um, but beyond that, the rest of this episode gives us a brief look at the pride troopers in their universe, uh, which I think is universe 11. Um, and we get to see some of them kind of saving the day in their universe, just little minor things here and there. Yeah. And, and it's the only reason why I think it's kind of important is because it shows that they're, they're not just good guys for show they're, they actually act and try and be heroes and i think that's about the only the only thing that i think is super relevant about that is that these these aren't bad guys kind of going around pretending to be good guys that no they're they actually think they're the good guys and if anything they kind of put themselves in the position of the guardians of their universe so they're kind of self-appointed superheroes yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're not like Frost from Universe 6 just pretending to be a good guy for their own gain. These mm -hmm. guys are, you know, they're they're the real deal. They think they are good guys or doing good for the universe. Uh, but we basically get kind of this tease about 17 where Goku goes to Dende because Dende is the, as we sometimes forget at this point, the guardian of Earth. And so he kind of sees everything. Uh, and Dende is able to do something with the lookout that I don't think I've ever seen in Dragon Ball. But oh, basically, and I got a question for you. Oh, yeah. But kind of uproots the the lookout and it flies over to 17's island where, you know, Dende kind of drops off Goku because Goku can't sense 17's energy. So so uh, when 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 the lookout kind of uproots and leaves, what happens with Corrin? <laughs> I mean, you know, I wasn't paying. I, I need to go back and look at that because I didn't see if Corin went with them or if Corin, if his little pod kind of just floats out in if, if the I middle of nowhere. It just kind of sucks up into the lookout and it just kind of floats off. I don't remember seeing uh, Corin's little, little plateau down there. So, uh, whatever <laughs> that's funny yeah because it basically the lookout kind of pulls the whole rod like basically the pole that goku as a kid climbed up and pulls that shaft all the way up and it it just sucks it up into the lookout like i i i mean magic i don't know but yeah i mean corin's little pod on the lookout was probably nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. It's just one of those things where as soon as it happened, I was just like, wait, hold on. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I was just kind of assuming that Corrin went along with them, but I didn't pay close attention. I don't think the visual showed Corrin's part of the tower. So I don't remember. I just saw it happen once and just kind of thought, well, huh, 
I don't know what happened with Corrin, but whatever. I guess it doesn't matter. The, this whole thing is kind of kind of doesn't matter because no. there's a hundred different ways Goku could have found out where 17 was. In fact, why not just have 18 be like, yeah, he's on this island last time I talked to him. But for some reason, he has to go to Dende and then they have to take the lookout car over there and just oh, whatever. It's it's all irrelevant, but it made me ask questions I didn't think I needed to ask. It really is. I'm not really I'm not a big fan of the as you called it, the lookout car. But uh I think the only reason they did this was to give Dende something to do because oh, he's mm-hmm. been irrelevant since, well, the Boo Saga, I guess, since he came to Earth. I don't know. <sighs> Little green. Sorry, man. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that leads us into episode 86. Trading blows for the first time. Artificial human number 17 for Son Goku. And, uh, he, uh, uh, I don't like this or the next episode, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I'll i give you the quick notes and then you can fill in if you think I missed something. Sure. Um, so before Goku jumps off the uh, the lookout car, um, Dende does make mention that there's another powerful fighter in the world. And he makes mention that um, it's probably the reincarnation of Boo. Which is kind of cool. Um, I I don't know if that's something we'll see actually kind of be relevant in the future, but I think it's worth mentioning that. What was he in GT? Was it Oob? Oob, yeah. Okay, um, great name. So Oob <laughs> exists. Um, but yeah, other than that, we get Goku visiting Seventeen on his island, and they fight off an army of poachers, and then Goku and Seventeen they need to spar. You have to spar, and so. We get Goku kind of getting beaten back in a Super Saiyan form. So he goes Super Saiyan Blue. He launches a Kamehameha wave. And we get to see 17 use kind of a green kind of key shield or Kai shield. And that's what he uses to defend against the Kamehameha. And that's kind of important because it's going to be a little bit of a signature technique for Android 17 going forward. But this is the first time we actually get to see it. And from there, the few trade a few more blows and then they decide to end the sparring session. I don't know. I, this was a very not well animated, not very interesting battle. I did not like this one. No, I agree. I, I even put in my notes, I literally wrote out nothing special about this fight. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That about sums it up. So they, uh, they finish their uninteresting sparring match, um, and Goku's like, yeah, okay, so you're going to join the Tournament of Power Team, right? And then he tries lying to Android 17 again, and obviously the money isn't enough. So then Goku actually tells him what's really at risk here, that it's the entire universe. And then uh, 17's like, oh, wait, so it's obliteration for all if we lose? Yeah, I'm cool with that, because it's fair, and it's not just obliteration for the weak. Woo, buddy. It's a crazy, crazy take on that. Um, I I did want to point out two little things. Uh, your 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 notes are great on this uh, <laughs> because that's about about what I had. I was saying, I was uh, like, I have bad notes. I'm going to go through them, and then you can fill in the gaps. <laughs> uh, the only thing I wanted to say with Oob or this kid that uh, they were that Goku was talking about it, or learning about it anyway. Those who have re- been reading the manga, that is relevant in the manga, uh, 
within the past couple of months now. So Ooh, I think that spoiler. part's really fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't say anything more than that. Um, and then the the technique that you were talking about, Dayton, with the shield, I it, it becomes a really big signature move for Android 17. What I like about it is that they're pulling it from the fight with 17 and Piccolo in the Cell Saga because that's what 17 uses to defend himself against Piccolo's Hellzone grenade. And it was just like a one-off little thing that he did in the Cell Saga, but then they took it and they really made it a key element of his fighting, which I thought was pretty cool. It's a fun callback. I mean, it's pretty cool. We've seen the shield at least two or three other times too, though, but if you want to ascribe it to somebody, then why not? Like that gives 17 at least some personality because before the androids were just kind of, I don't know, strong that they their fighting styles weren't really developed they were just kind of brute strength and just used typical normal key blast there was nothing really special about the way they fought so i am perfectly fine with giving them some sort of fighting personalities so i i think it's an upgrade yeah yeah i definitely agree but basically that kind of ends the episode 17 is not on board uh goku kind of is going to have to find a way to get 17 on board with the tournament because he found out how powerful 17 is. 17 got a lot stronger than he was in the Cell Saga too. So that's that's also important. Yeah, and that leads us right into Dragon Ball Super Episode 87. Hunt the Poachers, Goku and number 17 joint battle. Um, oh boy, this episode. <laughs> so here we go. Alien poachers show up on 17's island. Goku helps fight them off. 17 ag- agrees to join the team as long as he can wish for a boat. Did I get it? Uh, yeah, the only funny thing that I wanted to point out here is that when the one of the poachers uh, says he's going to blow himself up and Goku uses instant transmission to take the poacher to King Kai's planet, which I thought was a really fun nod to him taking Cell to King Kai's <laughs> planet when he was going to blow himself up. Yeah, you're going to blow yourself up? How about you go to King Kai's planet? Yeah, and King Kai gets pissed. He's like, do I look like, you know, a place where you just take bombs? Like, I'm not the fucking bomb squad. <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. That's the only mm. thing that I liked about this episode. Okay, good. So there is some reason to watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, basically, the the poacher gets arrested by Jocko, which is kind of a fun thing to pull Jocko in for. Uh, but at that point, this this whole episode, the whole point to this is to get 17 on board for the Tournament of Power. And we basically get the promise of putting Goten and Trunks in 17's place, protecting the island with the Minotauros and the animals. And uh, that's how they're going to you know, protect that island while 17 is gone. All right. That's, that, that's all I got on that okay. one. Okay. I was like, I only have one, that one thing I said. So if there's speak now, forever hold your peace. Nope. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Episode 88 Gohan and Piccolo, Master and Disciple trained to the limit. And uh, we right off the bat get to see that Gohan and Piccolo have been training together. And Piccolo reveals that Goku has already talked to him about the tournament and he's already agreed to join. So this whole time, kind of Piccolo has been in the know and he's been preparing Gohan for this tournament. I I really do like that. Yeah, that is, uh, uh, this is great. I mean, getting to see Gohan underneath the tutelage of Piccolo again is a lot of fun. Um, Piccolo basically is 
trying to train Gohan to unlock his hidden power. I mean, throughout all of Dragon Ball Z, we were basically hinted at the fact that Gohan had this hidden power within him. And it's still being hinted at. uh, Yeah, yeah, basically. And so uh, this is... Piccolo basically points out through their training that Gohan's weakness is his arrogance. Uh, He kind of points out that Gohan... Gohan knows that he's strong, and Gohan absolutely is strong. But because of that, Gohan kind of relies on that strength and becomes arrogant, and he's unwilling to close the deal, is what the way that Piccolo words it. Basically, like the fight with Boo, with Mystic Gohan against Boo, Gohan was toying with Boo and just did not seal the deal. Same thing with the fight against Cell when Gohan went Super Saiyan 2. Gohan was toying with Cell and was unwilling to seal the deal. And so this has been a recurring problem for Gohan for time and time again against the bad guys. Yeah, and Piccolo actually has a really great quote that I've written down. It's, you want your emotions to complement your strength, not shackle it. And I really like that message because it's telling Gohan, you've got to be aware of your emotions the entire time you're fighting. You've got to keep your rage in check, your arrogance in check. You've got to make sure that every part of you is kind of hitting in sync. And it was a brilliant way of putting it. And I love the lecture about his arrogance being his weakness and kind of really taking time to not work on so much the the physical form of Gohan, but the mental form. And I think that's really important. I agree. And that that's a great quote. And it, it kind of shines the light on, you know, Gohan at Super Saiyan 2 against Cell was his rage mixed with his arrogance. Against Boo, it was more just his arrogance. Uh, and I think there's another line where Piccolo says, I don't have the exact quote, but Piccolo basically says that Gohan doesn't have the spirit of a warrior, which I like that a lot because it's true. Gohan's always expressed the fact that he's not a fighter and he's kind of just been pushed into that lifestyle. He's certainly strong. He's got the, you know, he's got the genes for it, but uh, it's not something that he's really wanted. No, and Piccolo kind of goes all out with the training and almost kind of beats the pants off of Gohan until he's able to kind of get Gohan to get Gohan to kind of step up and really achieve that next level and start working on his, his own route to success. And we get a, an exchange between Gohan and Piccolo where Gohan actually chops off one of Piccolo's arms. Yeah. At this point, Gohan's like, all right, I've won the battle. I beat you. And then Piccolo uses his disarmed armed. Uh, to blast Gohan in the back and kind of catch him off guard. And once again, reinforce that never let your guard down and, and you know, reach that next level. And we get a quote from Piccolo that says, don't settle for being better when you could be the best. And I like that quote because it's just keep pushing yourself. It doesn't matter if you think you've won or how powerful you are. You have to find that next level and you have to be that next level of prepared. It's so good. And it, at this point, Gohan... Gohan was fighting in Super Saiyan against Piccolo, uh, but Piccolo was pushing Gohan to reawaken the power that he had against Boo. So what is usually referred to as Gohan's either mystic or ultimate form. And so Gohan has reawakened that power once more and doesn't need the Super Saiyan transformation. And so I like this because this is more like Gohan's own path of power too. Uh, and it's, it's nice to see him kind of in that form again, when he was fighting boo, that was, you know, 
one of the peak forms of Gohan, in my opinion. It's it's I I always love seeing I guess training and preparing and and kind of watching these Z fighters actually kind of level up themselves and work towards something because I think that's always been kind of a kind of a Dragon Ball message or right. whatever you want to call it and and I love seeing this little training session between the two and especially because it's Gohan and Piccolo I know that they kind of dangle that in front of us a lot nowadays but this felt good it did they. This one was presented in a, uh, uh, it was a well-presented package for the audience and for fans of the franchise, I think. But they basically wrapped that up, uh, take us to see Kaba in Universe 6. And Kaba is looking for more Saiyans for the Universe 6 team at the request of Champa, And Kaba goes to see his mentor, a retired captain of the guard, Renzo. And we see that Renzo has a bum leg. And so Renzo basically says, hey, I'm retired. Uh, you don't want me on your team. Even though Cab is saying, you know, your, your fighting expertise, just your knowledge would be valuable. But Renzo points Cabba to Renzo's sister, Khalifla, and he says that Khalifla has way more latent power and ability than he ever has. And I think that mostly wraps up the episode. Did you have anything else for that one, Dayton? No, I think that leads us right into uh, episode 89. A mysterious beauty appears. The tension style dojo's mystery. Um, Oof. Oh, yeah. This, this is another is an episode. It's yeah. got all the worst tropes that uh, I think present themselves in dragon ball all kind of wrapped up in one episode so let's uh let's boogie through this one yeah basically uh, tien is going to be their 10th fighter on the universe 7 team uh goku goes to find tien and master roshi together master roshi has been recruited as uh, a dojo master because tien is now a he's teaching martial arts at his own dojo uh basically there's a a woman there who has a grudge against Tien. Uh, Master Roshi kind of takes her on because he's a lecherous old man. And uh, she uses her magic that she has learned to turn Tien's students into walking zombies who attack the nearby town. And basically Roshi, Tien, and Goku use their combined power to stop her and uh, basically recruit her as a student in Tien's dojo. And throughout all of this, they solve the problem. Goku gets Tien and Roshi on the team. And that's pretty much the gist of that episode. Yeah, they, you, they both join up. I think Goku's still spreading the lie, by the way. So they're both joining for the 10 yeah. million zenny. Um, but yeah, that's more or less that episode. Um, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Um, I'm in. Episode 90, uh, Facing the Wall That Must Be Overcome, Goku versus Gohan. And with this, we get Gohan kind of finishing his training with Piccolo and Piccolo recommends that he test his strength to see where he's at. And we get a scene where Gohan and Piccolo meet up with Goku and Tien. And it's going to be kind of a, a two on two battle between uh, uh, the, the Z fighters and the battle kind of launches off and we see Gohan keeping pace with Goku but Tien tries to step in and basically gets one shot. So you're kind of seeing the 
the the power disparity between a lot of these Z fighters. Um, during this match, we see Piccolo doing one of his patented take forever to charge up techniques, um, which is almost becoming a meme to me at this point, but we'll, <laughs> we'll discuss that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he charges up this technique and he goes to unleash kind of this big kind of AOE blast. And it's kind of their, their silver bullet to defeating Goku, and it does not. No. Uh, Goku basically stops the blast. Um, the one thing that I like about this and the lead up to that uh, big AoE blast is the fact that Gohan and Piccolo are working together quite well here, especially because Gohan is basically stalling. He's buying time for Piccolo to charge this blast, and Gohan goes after Tien first. Gohan knows that Tien is the weak link, so Gohan tries to knock him out of the fight briefly and then handles Goku. Uh, and so I think there's a moment, actually, oh, there's a moment, too, where Tien tries to basically fire off a uh, tri-beam at Piccolo, who's still charging his attack, and Gohan uses, like, a very small, fast energy blast to just disrupt Tien's uh, tri-beam. So Gohan's doing a great job here. I, I like the teamwork. Um, beyond that, once that AoE blast of Piccolo's goes off, Gohan uses that moment where Goku's kind of like, you're going to have to do better than that. Gohan uses that moment to jump in there with what looks like this key charged punch to Goku, but Goku manages to block it at the very last second. Uh, but again, really cool moments of teamwork with Gohan and Piccolo working together. I mostly just felt bad for Tien that whole time. He just gets kind of shat on and the whole time he's like, <laughs> hey, we need to stop this fight. We need to stop this fight. We need to stop this fight. Yeah, it's ugh. yeah, he kind of he gets yeah, he gets beat around. It's not if you're a TN fan, this is not your favorite episode. No, definitely not. But it kind of leads us into Gohan like they basically destroy the arena that they're fighting on and but Gohan's not finished. Goku basically is like, "Hey, you know, the fight's done, you know, that's that's great. You guys are working together well, but Gohan wants more. He wants to test his new power." against his father probably the strongest person that he knows yeah and so once tien and piccolo kind of step out of the fight and it's just gohan versus goku we see goku power up to super saiyan 2 and we see gohan once again not go into super saiyan form but kind of summon his inner strength and use his i, I don't know what to call it. is it is, is this mystic gohan is yeah. i think that's what the the lore yeah. nerds call it Mystic or Ultimate is the two different names for it. Okay, so we see Gohan kind of summon this mystic energy, and he's, once again, I like this because this is Gohan kind of making his own path and going down his own route, and I, I, right. I really hope that we see a lot more of this in the future because I really did like it here. And we get to see that Gohan in just his, his mystic form is actually on keeping pace with Goku in Super Saiyan 2 form. And that's impressive considering that Gohan could go Super Saiyan 2 if he really wanted to, but he found a different way to get the same power as that form. Yeah, and the other thing about that, like, this is interesting that Goku chooses to use Super Saiyan 2 here because the other thing about the transformations, usually once a character achieves a higher transformation, their lower forms become stronger. So Goku's Super Saiyan 2 is probably going to be different different than, say, future Trunks' Super Saiyan 2, who that is like his peak form. 
uh, but um, Goku's not using Super Saiyan Blue here, or at least not yet. Uh, there, there is a an exchange I think where Goku uses instant transmission and fires a couple of key blasts. I think uh, we get a Kamehameha beam clash between Gohan and Goku. But the last bit here, Gohan basically says, Dad, I want you to give me your all. Like, you're not trying. I want to see what the difference is between our powers. And they basically charge at each other with a final punch. And Super Saiyan Blue Gohan knocks Mystic Gohan out. Um, And Goku just says something to the effect of, you did a great job, son. And it's... This there's nothing spectacular about this fight necessarily, but it was really it, it hit me in the feels for this one. Uh, if only just because seeing Gohan and Goku fight uh, to fight one another like this in kind of like a teaching moment was really just really touching for me. I thought it was all right. I I mean, <laughs> Go, Gohan's real dad was there, so I mean that that's always good. <laughs> Number one, dad. Dream dad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it's an all right fight. It's I do wish that we did get more Gohan and Goku moments that weren't yeah. just quick and thrown, just kind of like thrown at us like this is. I, I do want to see more moments, almost like in the, um, I, I guess, where when Gohan and Goku spent time in the hyperbolic time chamber and there was actual kind of a connection time. I'd I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean I I think Team Four Star hit it home where uh Piccolo is berating Goku because he's basically stating that Gohan spent that time in the hyperbolic time chamber with Goku because he wanted to spend some time with his father because he's always gone. Uh, and and that's something that they don't really touch on in Dragon Ball much is the fact that they don't they don't touch on the relationship between Goku and Gohan as much as I would like either. So I, I definitely agree with you there. No, and I think Goten probably hardly knows Goku at this point, too, considering Goku was dead when Goten was born. Yeah, for like the first six years of his life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where I like that kind of stuff, but I want to see more and I like a little bit more quality time together. It's I mean, it's interesting. I do like that um, when Gohan lost that battle, he had a big smile on his face because he, he knew he he kind of did his dad proud and he knew he kind of achieved a new level and, and fought with everything he had. It was a very self-satisfactory kind of moment. I liked that a lot too. And I think for the most part, that wraps up that episode. Was there anything else you had, Dayton? Uh, no, Gohan is labeled team captain. Yes, you're right. <laughs> that is important. All right. But other than that, no, I think that's uh, going to bring us to episode 91. Which universe will prevail? The mightiest warriors assemble. I put a note in here that this is kind of like a training montage. Like we basically get to see Vegeta in the hyperbolic time chamber, Goku sparring with Whis in the gravity chamber and master Roshi using Poir as a lady to get rid of his demons. We also get a weird scene where Whis is running his finger up his staff and it's oddly sexual, but (laughs) that was interesting. I, you know, they do a lot of little innuendos with Weiss. Usually they're pretty entertaining. 
Yeah, we uh we also get a uh, hit tracking down Frost and kind of asking the disgraced uh Frost to join back up with the team. Um other than that, um we also get to see some of Universe 2's Magic Girl transformation. So yeah. we get to see Brienne kind of showing up to or a Magic Girl named Brienne show up and transform and do this heart attack and that's all we really get to see, but we do know that there's going to be some sort of magic girl thing in the future. Um, we also get to see Boo fall asleep. That's kind of the big reveal here, right? This episode, I feel like we could gloss over this episode. There's not a lot that happens. We get to see some of the other universes, and then Boo is asleep, and that is the problem. Yeah, and um, that's, I think, going to lead us right into episode 92. Yeah. Which is an emergency development. We don't have 10 members because Boo's asleep. Yeah, big uh, big surprise. I mean, it's almost like this happened during the Universe 6 and Universe 7 tournament once already. Yeah, so we get to see this happening again. Um, we get to see more of Roshi training to get over his perviness, which is <laughs> neat. Um, I mean, at least they're trying to be progressive there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's making the right... He's trying to get better, and that's all you can really ask for. Right, exactly. Um, we get to see some of the Pride Troopers assembling. We get to see some stuff with some robots from the other universes. There's all these little, like, little sneak peeks that they're kind of handing us over between this episode and the previous episode, but nothing really super important. It's just, it's a lot of teasers. Yeah, I think I've got a couple of points for episode 92 here where... Piccolo basically reveals to the rest of the group, like the rest of the team, that Goku was lying. Uh, and so one of the things I like about this is that Krillin is angry. Like Krillin gets pissed off about this, as he should. And this is kind of what we were talking about early on when Goku was spreading these lies, uh, because Krillin is basically offended that Goku would lie to him and not trust his best friend to be there for him. Like they've fought against, you know, countless threats against the earth, countless aliens and uh, basically had each other's backs and Krillin's like, you know, Hey, why didn't you trust me for this? Yeah. And uh, like, like I said earlier, they've, they fought for the fate of the, the planet and other planets so many times before. Why would you not think you couldn't trust them with this information? And once again, this isn't entirely Goku's idea. This is Gohan telling him to right. do this. And Gohan, for some reason, gets no shade from any of this. No, that, that part to me is pretty funny. Um, but they don't really address but, that. But at the same time, it like Goku is the dad in this situation. He should be yeah. the one that can decide what, what should be said and what isn't. So it's uh, you win some, you lose some, I guess. There's there's some blame to go around. Right. So I, I was glad they at least addressed this. Like, it's not okay, Goku, for you to just lie to get what you want out of your friends. Uh, and basically, this kind of culminates and they, they get everybody on board. Uh, Balma, I think, says that she'll pay some of the people if she has to. And Goku says that he's going to recruit Frieza to replace Boo. Yeah, and that's kind of blows my mind because as far as the first people I would think of to put on my team, Frieza is pretty low on that list. So it's it's definitely a controversial pick. It's a it's a funny one, but I mean, if you're looking for just sheer power, Frieza's a tough one to beat, man. He's strong. 
I uh, my suggestion would have been a little different than Goku's. Um, I would have suggested somebody like Pycon. You know, Pycon's a funny one because hmm, he's technically non-canon. I is think he non-canon? They, he is. Yeah, the episodes that he's in in the uh, in the uh, Otherworld tournament, those are all filler episodes. Oh, um, huh. and he, wasn't he also in, in one of the movies? Yeah, and the, uh, all those, the oh, those first 13 either. movies are non-canon. <laughs> okay, all right, this isn't confusing at all. Got it. I I know, but uh, I don't think they've brought him back because of that, but uh, I think that's one of the reasons why they don't use him. Um, but I, I also think that people just fucking love Frieza, man. I love Frieza. Frieza's probably my favorite villain, and I mean, he's if you, great if you in the tournament If you want to go for fan service, that's about as good as it gets. If you want to go for yeah. logical, that's about as bad as it gets. So, I mean, pick your poison. I, I very much agree. Yeah, and, there, and there's other, even besides PyCon, there's other good choices, right? Even in this episode, we're getting all these Yamcha jokes about Yamcha wants to be on the team and he's waiting for his invite and all this stuff. <laughs> and I mean, Dragon Ball Super has just kind of turned Yamcha into the butt of the joke pretty much all the time at this point, which is, it's fine. It's whatever. I don't. Yeah, I don't, at this point, I, I'm not expecting anything out of Yamcha. So it's, go ahead and make jokes, I guess. Right, yeah. Uh, but we basically get that big reveal. There is one other big thing that I want to talk about in this one, and it's because we get some more shots of Kaba, Khalifla, and Kale together. We do. And they're, they're working on the Super Saiyan transformation. <laughs> uh, I have some things to say here, because Kaba tries to initially make... Khalifa angry and he's just terrible at it. He's trying to basically do what Vegeta did for him and Vegeta's Vegeta's he's a much better asshole than Kaba is to be frank. Uh but then Kaba basically goes the route of thinking, you know, it it kind of feels like this tingling in my back. Oh, I and, think uh I think technically this is episode 93. Oh, you know what? I might have put my notes on the wrong one here. You might be right. I I might have mixed those up. Yeah, um, because uh, I definitely, I definitely also have, uh, I have some pretty deep feelings about about the way that they're treating Super Saiyan transformations at this point. Yeah, sorry, I, I might have mixed my notes up here. Did you have anything else for ninety two? Uh, no, I think the, I think that's pretty much it. We're kind of left with the cliffhanger of Goku suggesting Frieza, and that brings us right into episode ninety three, which is you're the tenth warrior. Goku visits Frieza. And so we so, get a big discussion whether it's uh, worth bringing Frieza back for the tournament or not. And that's kind of the the beginning of this episode. And uh, Whis is even asked if the team currently has the strength without him to win the tournament. And Whis mentions he's not sure, but he is aware of a fighter who rivals the strength of destroyer gods in one of the other universes. And that is a, it's a hell of a thing to admit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of intimidating when you're going up against these other universes. And I think we basically get from there Goku going to hell to visit Frieza, right? Yeah, um it's it's interesting. Goku first visits uh King Yama to get permission to bring Frieza back and King Yama is of right. course not happy with this because of all the trouble that Frieza has caused not only him, but the entire universe. So this is not really a decision that King Yama is really happy to make. 
I like that we get to see King Yama here. I think this is a, a, a just a fun little again, they're they're trying to get these characters who are never really shown on screen involved between like Dende and King Yama and even like Baba. Um because after that, Goku's plan basically is to get Fortune Teller Baba uh to resurrect frieza for 24 hours which is a good callback to the boo saga when she did that exact thing for goku to participate in the tournament then and so at that point goku basically gets the green light to go down into hell where frieza is being held captive and uh this exchange between them is great i love this exchange what were your thoughts on this dayton Oh yeah, where we kind of get uh, Goku bartering with Frieza, who's making this whole situation as difficult as possible. And oh, it's, yeah, I mean it's exactly how I would have pictured it going. It's Goku's like, all right, well, Frieza, I'm sure once out of here, so a 24 hour free pass, and all you got to do is fight in this little hour long tournament. Like, yeah, why why wouldn't you want that? And Frieza's right. like, hell no. There's obviously a reason why you want me to fight in this tournament. So you're going to have to offer me more than that. It's mm, it's very good. It shows how clever Frieza really is. And I like that. Yeah, this is this is a plus Frieza material here. And Frieza basically gets Goku to agree that if they win, Goku will use the Earth's Dragon Balls to fully resurrect Frieza. And Goku has to agree. He's he's his hands are tied here, right? Like he needs Frieza on the team. Uh, he needs a replacement for Boo. And his logic is basically that, well, you know, we've dealt with Frieza time and time again. If we have to, we'll deal with him again. Yeah, and Weiss makes a point about this a little later that I really also agree with. But we also get a. Uh, Kaba, Kalafla, and Kale all doing their Super Saiyan transformation trainings at this point. And we get uh, the whole focusing the tingly feeling into the your your back is how it's described. And that's that's all oh. it takes to go Super Saiyan. It's really easy. And Kalafla picks it up pretty much in two seconds. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of jumped forward a little bit here, but I have some strong opinions about this and uh, I think I think it kind of like it bridges both episodes. So it kind of okay. cliff hangs you on 92 and then continues in 93. So it's it goes across both, but it's all one kind of little little really not good story arc. Yeah, and I OK, so let's talk about this. This to me, in my opinion, cheapens Super Saiyan. I think Super Saiyan was such a big deal, such a big revelation, and so hard to achieve when Goku got it against Frieza. And when Vegeta was talking about it as being the legendary Super Saiyan, something that you know no Saiyan in years or decades had achieved, and it was it was coveted, it was held up on a pedestal. And now some girl can just push energy to her back and be like, boom, I'm a super Saiyan. <laughs> yeah, it's, and I mean, I do think that the, over the years, the super Saiyan transformation was already struggling with being cheapened by little Goten and Trunks being able to achieve it without really yes. any, like, there was no reason for them to get it. They just got it. And 
you know, we we see both of them with it. And then this guy from the future shows up and he has it. And then Vegeta gets it just being mad at a mountaintop. And then like there's <laughs> there's so many ways that Saiyans become Super Saiyan that it's at this point, it's everybody's a Super Saiyan. And it kind of it's just kind of expected at this point. But I do think that this was an even larger step in the wrong direction because it's yeah. at least they tried to make an attempt to justify why everyone else kind of got there. In this case, there's there's pretty much no justification. It's just you, you force it into your back, you get that tingly feeling, and then you're super sane. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with you. I am going to try to play devil's advocate here from because I think you and I both agree that this is not a good development for the Super Saiyan transformation. However, I know that there are people on the other side of this debate who think that this is fine or, you know, don't have a problem with it. And I think that there are ways that this could be explained away a little bit. So one of them being the fact that the universe six Saiyans are biologically different or could be biologically different than the universe seven Saiyans. One indication of that is the fact that the universe six Saiyans do not have tails, which is interesting to me. Um, now, you know, there could be a dozen different explanations for why that is the case. Um, I mean, there's also the fact that the Universe 6 Saiyans are not like, uh, in terms of like culture, they're not like the Universe 7 Saiyans either. The Universe 7 Saiyans are, they're a, a fighting race. They are, you know, they're used as warriors to conquer planets. Uh, they are kind of seen as being maybe angry, proud, whatever the case is. Um, whereas the Universe 6 Saiyans are, I mean, relatively kind and peaceful, and they even work to keep the peace in Universe 6. Uh, so there's a lot of differences between the two, and I could see I could see this maybe being one of those differences where these Saiyans can achieve Super Saiyan differently than the Universe 7 Saiyans. What do you it, think about that, Dave? Well, I do think if they would take the time to address it, I could probably accept it. But until then, it's kind of we're left in this kind of nebulous wondering and we don't know we, it, that could be the case or it could not be the case. It's just whatever they feel like doing with it, I guess it's we we have the genetic ability to go Super Saiyan, but we don't have this other genetic stuff. And we're kind of cherry picking, I guess, what aspects we like to fit the current situation. And I don't know, it gets a little confusing and Either way, I still think it cheapens Super Saiyan if they can just achieve it that much more easily and it's still just as powerful, if not more powerful. The the their fighting yeah. caliber at just hitting Super Saiyan is kind of insane. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where ugh, it, it really does cheapen Super Saiyan, but I suppose there's the argument that this is a different universe's Saiyan. So the way that they achieve it could be different than the way that this universe achieves it. And I mean, it's, there is some logic there. There is an argument there, but I, I would like to see some sort of addressing or even maybe make it so that way their super Saiyan form has some downsides that maybe ours doesn't have or something. Just add a little bit more spice to it, add a little bit more context and flavor. It's even if it, there's a way to explain it. So that way it doesn't break the lore. 
I still feel like we're kind of left out in the cold on what's going on here. And I, I would just like a little bit more context. I, I very much agree with you. I kind of just wanted to cover the other side of it too, because I know there are people out there who are perfectly fine with this. I think you and I feel the same way uh, that it just cheapens it. Um, yeah. And l- like I said, there's, there could be a hundred different great explanations as to why this happened. I would like to just hear one of them or at least allude to one of them. It's I'm not asking for a ton. Yeah. In, in the show specifically, because I also want to bring up the fact that Akira Toriyama himself has talked about Saiyans having S cells. Minichlorians. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's, I don't even remember the full explanation beyond that, but it's, it has something to do with like, you know, how good a Saiyan is, uh, which, you know, can also be attributed to the universe. Six Saiyans are much, uh, more good hearted Saiyans than the universe seven Saiyans. Um, so they probably have more S cells, uh, and there's something to do with, again, I, I wish I could remember the details more. Um, but I thought it was kind of ridiculous to be honest. Uh, but the reason Goten and Trunks get their transformation so early is because they have more S cells than even like Goku or Vegeta uh, because they've, and I think it's something to do with the fact that they've grown up in a time of peace. Like there, there's not a lot of strife in their lives. Yeah. So Uh, it's, it's less about hard work and determination and more about biology is is what that tells me (laughs) yeah yeah and and super in general we've talked about this before dragon ball super kind of spits in the face of a lot of the themes that dragon ball and dragon ball z have pushed forward about hard work and perseverance uh whether it be the super saiyan god transformation or the tingly black tingly back super saiyans uh i I'm not a fan of those changes in the themes for Dragon Ball uh, once you get into Super. And I think it, I think you pretty much feel the same way, Dayton. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's the training almost feels like an afterthought in a lot of Dragon Ball Super where they just kind of show an episode ish, maybe half an episode of someone training somewhere. And usually it's not very well thought out training. It's just we're we're in high gravity or me and this guy are fighting and that's training. And then we'll flip off to the next one. I actually like it when they take the time to be like, all right, you know, Goku's visiting with King Kai and here's the type of training he's doing. And here are the new techniques he's being taught. And here's, I like seeing the advancement of the character. And then I like seeing, you know, where that advancement takes the character when they encounter strife. I like being there for the adventure. And I feel like Dragon Ball Super kind of gets rid of me, the viewer in big parts of the adventure because training i think is important it's a a very key element in dragon ball and we're not really there for a lot of it i very much agree and it almost feels like they're just kind of trying to gloss over that part which is a bit of a bummer but i think we'll move forward with our episodes i had to i wanted to cover that topic because i feel pretty strongly about that one um but basically uh Khalifa gets Super Saiyan. Kale ends up uh, struggling to go Super Saiyan at first, uh, but she ends up, her frustration builds about being useless to Khalifa, and she ends up going into her own form of Super Saiyan, which for anybody who is familiar with Broly, like the original Broly movie, there's a lot of parallels with this form here. Even Kale's attire like the gauntlets on her arms and whatnot look like the original broly's gauntlets yeah uh, and we get to see that that 
kind of trademark Broly, rather than using kind of yellow energy and yellow hair, we get to see more of a green color. It's very different. We also see kind of the the eyeballs kind of fade to more or less white and kind of white. this loss of control. It's it's very much reminiscent of the legendary Super Saiyan versus a traditional one. Yeah, and she goes from being rail thin to being huge, roided out, big, bulky. Uh, and she even uses some of the, it's it's very much fanfare and fan service for people who like Broly because she uses some of the attacks that the original Broly uses, like this green energy beam from her chest and stuff. Uh, but let's see, I think that she she kind of attacks Kaba uh, for a little while until Khalifla, if I remember right, she ends up even breaking into Super Saiyan 2 briefly to uh, to kind of stop Kale. Yeah, it's important that, you know, the minute you learn Super Saiyan, you got to be able to jump to Super Saiyan 2, right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty wild. And they, I, I mean, they express to you that Khalifla is a prodigy, that she's got a lot of latent power. Um, so, I mean, there are a few things that can kind of help explain this away, but... I think I feel the same way that you do about yeah, it. Yeah, and so we see more or less Kale has kind of just lost complete control at this point, and um, we do get Cauliflaw kind of basically able to talk some sense into Kale and kind of talk talk her down from the edge sort of thing, because at this point she was completely out of control and just a destructive force, and right. her, her ire was set against Kaba uh, for trying to, I guess, take cauliflaw away from her or something along those lines so we get to see this kind of jealous rage that kind of boils up inside of kale and we get to see cauliflaw kind of talk her down from from that rage right and for the most part i think that that kind of wraps up that episode and takes us into episode 94 if i'm not 94 revival of the emperor the mysterious awaiting assassins Ooh. Yeah. So this, uh, I wrote down that there's a bit of a training montage here. So I think we get to see a couple of characters training. Uh, basically, the the gist of this is that Universe 4 contacted Universe 9 to send assassins after Frieza so that they could sabotage Universe 7, hoping that they would not have enough fighters and not even be able to participate in the Tournament of Power. And Basically, Goku and Frieza return to the mortal realm. Uh, they return to Earth. Uh, Frieza's still having his halo above him, and Baba being the one to kind of resurrect him. And they each are, or Goku and Frieza are then confronted by what looks like dozens, if not hundreds, of assassins. And Goku's saying, hey, we don't have time. we got to get to the tournament. And Frieza's like, well, this is my chance to warm up. Uh, you don't want me to go in, you know, without an opportunity to stretch my limbs, do you? And he transforms into Golden Frieza and starts to take out some of these assassins. And that's most yeah, of the it's, episode. Yeah, it's, I mean, I like that Frieza doesn't waste time just killing people. It's, there's no hesitation. The first shot that Frieza fired dropped someone to the water, and then the second shot killed somebody. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, bring it bring it to me, Emperor Daddy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, again, people probably don't like, I don't like the fact that Boo fell asleep. They're, like you mentioned, Dayton, there's probably better, smarter, more logical choices for their 10th person 
But man, the writing that they do and the characterization that they do for Frieza in this arc is so good. So mm. good. I uh, I mean, I know they reuse some of the transformation animations, but I still yeah. like the way that Frieza's golden transformation looks. They they actually did a pretty good job with it in Dragon Ball Super. I agree. I think it looks great. For the most part, that's going to take us right into the next episode, unless you had anything else, Dayton. No, uh, that's going to bring us into episode 95, the wickedest, the most evil, Frieza's Rampage. And uh, <laughs> this one, this one to me is just a lot of eye candy with Frieza just killing people left and right. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Give it to me. This is great. Uh, I, I also wanted to make a note that the music here for Frieza, Frieza's music in particular, really good. And I feel like the music in Super up to this point has kind of been lacking, honestly. I'll but say it, mediocre. Um, there's not a lot that Super stands out to me. Exactly. I, I feel the same. And it, But I think in this arc, it's going to just get better and better and better. And uh, yeah, Freeze is killing these minions. Uh, basically, one of the minions, I guess the, the lead henchman, uh, uses destruction power given to him by his god of destruction against Frieza. It kind of does a fake out on Frieza. And um, Frieza basically is, uh, it looks like he's being affected by the destruction power and like it, it's going to, you know, tear him apart. And then Frieza just like cuts the act and completely like calmly disperses this energy and holds it in his own hand, kind of controlling it, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, we get to see. And honestly, it's a huge deal because this is destruction god level stuff. And up to this point, we've not seen anything survive being touched by this destruction energy. And to see Frieza not only survive it but actually gain control of it it freezes on a whole different level at this point it's it's kind of crazy yeah yeah this is this is impressive uh there's basically a moment at this point freezes kind of dealt with a a number of these assassins uh but he ends up using the destruction energy taking this ball uh and using it against goku uh, kind of taking Goku by surprise. Uh, but Frieza says that he's he's basically wanted nothing more than to kill Goku. And this has kind of been driving him. And he's just been thinking about it over and over and over. And uh, Frieza here is basically like right off the bat of being resurrected. Turning on Goku, he gets this communicator from one of these minions to speak with the universe uh, nine. And he basically tells them that he's dealt with Goku, Universe 7's ace fighter, and he wants to be recruited by Universe 9 as one of their fighters on their team. Yeah, it's this kind of Frieza backstabbing Goku, which, yeah, I'd expect that to happen. And then yeah. Frieza backstabbing his own universe, which, yeah, I'd probably expect that to happen. It's <laughs> hilarious. And Goku's sitting there just struggling and writhing in pain and surrounded by this horrible destruction energy. And Frieza's just talking on the phone like, yeah, I'll, I'll join your team. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'll be over there. And even the the destruction god of the other universe was like, like, are, are you sure you're not going to miss anything? I, I can't believe anybody <laughs> would just <laughs> obliterate their own universe willingly. And Frieza's like, no, no, I don't care about this universe. <laughs> it's so good. 
It's great. I love this so much. And yeah, the Universe 9 is basically like the Kai and the God of Destruction. They're they're both hesitant here. They're like, don't you have something that you care about in your universe? And then they they basically are kind of like, this guy's too evil even for us. And we <laughs> <Yeah>. sent assassins <laughs> after them. <laughs> like, oh, uh, this is... Yeah, they start bickering over they, whether they could allow somebody that evil on their team. And unfortunately <laughs> for Frieza, before he can uh, finish the conversation, we get Whis and Beers kind of showing up to the scene to see what's going on. Yes, and this kind of stops Frieza's plan. He basically crushes the communicator, pretends like he wasn't doing anything. Uh, Beerus is able to just blow, literally physically blow the destruction power off of Goku and saving him. And Goku basically says, like, Beerus and Whis are, you know, upset, like, you figure out Frieza's, you know, kind of done something against Goku. But Goku's like, no, 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 no. This is my fault. I should have expected Frieza to do something like this. <laughs> um, and there's a a little bit of a beat of uh, of Frieza's inner monologue where he's thinking that this tournament is basically his chance to manipulate the gods. Uh, and I do want to just make a note here that I wish they would have done more with this. I think this is going to kind of be like a lost uh, a story beat that never really comes to fruition which was kind of a bummer yeah i i also kind of took note of that because that's also very frieza it's very how can i get something for me out of this situation and it's definitely something i well i guess frieza does get something out of the tournament of power but i wish frieza would have gotten more i agree and i don't have the note in here for the the skirmish between Goku and Frieza, is that at the end of this episode, Dayton? It is. It's not very much. They both power up and they do like the anime flyby sort of thing. And then they both fall in the water. It's it, it, it's not a fight. It's just the anime cliche thing fade by and then they both fall in the water and they're equally matched. That's it. That's now, the whole thing. Now, I will say, though, like you're right that it is very quick. However, the animation for that is stunning. Like the punch, when they connect with that punch, it looks incredible. I was really impressed with it. I was honestly, I started taking notes on how great it looked until I realized it was about three seconds of animation. And then I was, I kind of lost it for me. <laughs> I like, That's All right, fair. cool. I kind of wanted there to be an actual fight. I don't care if it's a meaningless fight. If it's animated this well, I will watch the crap out of it and love it. But I I don't know. It felt kind of a letdown to me because I thought it was going somewhere with the level of animation, with the way that they animated the energy around them as they charged up and started flying at each other. You could almost feel the weight of the air pressing up against them as they were flying at each other. And then the initial punch where you can see just, I don't know, their their faces just kind of get rearranged a little bit as they land. And you can see the water like splashing around them. Like the visuals are incredible. They definitely give Frieza's moments a lot of attention, which I like. Yeah, but it's uh, like, like I said, it's only about three to five seconds of actual yeah. animation. Incredible three to five seconds, but uh, I like a brief fight if it looks good, but this was a little too brief for me. That's fair. I I could I could feel you on that one. I think for the most part, 
I think that wraps up this episode uh, and wraps up kind of this section that we were talking about of the tournament prep. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we just kind of talk about that as a whole? No, I think we can we can dive right into, a, I guess, the breakdown of the tournament prep. It's It's kind of a lot of episodes. It's a lot of content, but to me, it's also kind of not a lot of meaningful content. I agree. I And I told Dayton, these aren't exactly filler episodes, but I would call most of them fluff episodes. Like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is side quests to get the characters on board for the tournament. And it feels unnecessary. It feels like padding. Like, it, it, it's unlike the Zeno Expo, the pacing for this is is not good, in my opinion. Yeah, that's. I think that was going to be the thing that I harped on the most is that it's a lot... This entire dozen or so episodes could have been wrapped up in probably three or four episodes and you wouldn't have missed yeah. anything. There's so much. And I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't like it when they add artificial tension to the situation. And there's so much of that, like with Android 17, not wanting to join the team until we get a filler episode of aliens showing up. Why did you do that? Why do we need to, to have time where 18 doesn't know where her brother is? And so we have to go on the side quest with Dende and the flying Look, there's just so much of that inside this episode that it, to me, it makes it almost just unwatchable. Like it's, I'm so upset with so many decisions that they made to kind of extend things and make it longer and make it take more time that I just, I honestly did not enjoy probably 75% of this prep. The only things I really liked are the, a lot of the Gohan stuff I actually liked with him training me with. Too with Piccolo and then him fighting Krillin, I actually really liked. And then outside of that, there's not a ton else that I actually really enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the Frieza moments. I'm a huge Frieza fan. Um, but even those come in at the tail end of this really. And, uh, the, a lot of this could be cut. I, I watched this when it came out week to week originally. Uh, now, watching it all together at one time i was just like man this is taking forever to get to the actual tournament and it's just unnecessary content so i'm not a big fan of what they did with the tournament prep i i understand the reasons for some of it but uh i think the the next portion is going to be a little bit better paced and a little bit more entertaining I mean, I I would hope so, because there should be plenty of fighting coming up here. And uh, I think that's what we all really watch Dragon Ball for. Absolutely. So I think that we can kind of move forward to the next episode, which is going to take us into the actual tournament of power. Yes. And that's going to be episode 96. The time has come to the world of void where the universe's fate will be decided. And uh, yeah, the episode starts right off with the Null Realm kind of finishing up its uh, ring construction. Um, we also see that Universe 7 is finally fully assembled as everyone kind of meets up and shows up at the same location. And we're kind of we're getting ready to get this thing actually started. Yes. And I I had to put some notes down here again for more Frieza content. Because I love the interactions between Frieza and the rest of Universe 7 here, where immediately as Frieza shows up on the scene, 
Vegeta steps forward in front of his wife and the others, placing himself between them and Frieza, basically creating this Vegeta barrier between Frieza and the rest of them, which is, it's great. Like that's, that's a great characterization for Vegeta. Uh, there's a moment where Frieza calls Vegeta his old slave, which I love. There's a point where uh, Goku is talking about like, Goku is not only telling Frieza what to do, but he's also saying, hey, Gohan is the the team captain and is going to kind of run the show. And Frieza responds with, I will not take orders from a primate. And even Frieza dealing with Beerus here, whereas Frieza has kind of shown reverence to Beerus in the past, Frieza is treating Beerus in kind of like a flippant manner where he's he's going along with what Beerus wants, but he's also got this arrogant air about him. Even yeah, Frieza, Frieza knows that Beerus needs him, and Frieza is abusing every little bit of that that he can. And we even get this funny moment, I think, uh, where everyone has to join hands before they they teleport off to the the Null Realm to to actually make it to the tournament and well everyone joins hands except vegeta who does not want to join hands with frieza and there's this beautifully awkward moment where everyone's bickering over who's going to hold frieza's hand and then beers kind of steps in and snatches up uh frieza's hand and says look is that better you can hold someone else's hands now and then finally they they settle on it and they teleport off to the null realm and when they make it there uh, I believe somebody notices that, hey, how come no one else was holding hands? And Weiss mentioned, uh, I thought it was kind of a team building experience. It's so good. And th- there's even even just a little detail of Frieza is, is next to Goku, but Frieza's not holding Goku's hand. Frieza is grabbing Goku's arm, like holding him by the wrist, uh, which I thought was just a really great detail because... You know, it's it's more like a it's a position of thing. power. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Such a good detail. Uh, but this takes us into the arena in the Null Realm, and we begin to get little glimpses of the other universe's teams. And I think they kind of give us an explanation of the rules here. They basically talk about the fact that there's no flying. And they've talked about some of these before, but there's no killing. Uh, if you knock somebody out, they're you know they're out of the fight. Uh, losing all ten combatants results in the destruction of your universe. And we also much... um we also get kind of a reunion between universe six and seven as the fighters kind yeah. of notice each other. And there's kind of this it's, it's I don't know it's almost like seeing old family or something like that. It's actually a very kind of pleasant experience between the two universes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, for the most part, though, that wraps up that episode. Did you have anything else, Dayton? Yeah, um, Frieza and Frost kind of sneak off to ah. the side and start making kind of shady deals to to stick out, stick up for each other, and kind of screw everyone else. And I, I definitely like how dastardly those two are. That is an important little detail because that is going to come up later. So I forgot about that. Um, I think the next episode kind of jumps us right into the to the action. Yes, which is episode 97, Survive! The Tournament of Power Begins at Last. And we get this kind of big rehashing of the rules. No weapons, no killing, no flying, unless it's with physical natural abilities. 
and you must force your opponent off the edge of the arena to eliminate them. So this is kind of reiterated and to make sure that, you know, people aren't just killing each other, Frieza. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's nice getting that little bit of a reminder. But we also get a brief moment right before the tournament starts where Gohan lays down the game plan. We're all going to stick together. We're not going to fight alone. And uh, kind of seems obvious that certain members of the team, <coughs> the Saiyans, <coughs> Frieza, aren't going to listen to this plan. And even the androids, right? Like basically right off the bat. So they they jump into the arena and they start the match. And Goku goes for top immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, if, if Goku and the Saiyans would have stayed in line, I think the androids would have stayed in line. But as soon as the rules were broken, they said, eh, we're out of here. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Goku bails, Vegeta bails. 17 and 18 bail and freezes out <laughs> of there. Team Merc is out the window. Yeah, so we basically got half of the team kind of working together and the other half just saying, ah, let's go 1v1, everybody. Uh, and we basically get to see kind of like a, a montage of the just kind of little pieces of the, the battle starting. We get to see familiar faces with like Hit and Botamo and Mageta from Universe 6. And uh, we get to see kind of like one of these robot characters uh, doing some spinning, trying to knock people off. And there at one point we get, I think, one combatant knocked off and we get to see them kind of reappear in the stands. Uh, so we kind of know what happens to the combatants if they do get knocked off. Yeah. And then not long after Moth Girl gets knocked off the uh, off the edge and teleported to the bleachers, we get Tien, Krillin, Gohan, Piccolo and Master Roshi, who all kind of stuck together. Unlike the rest of the group, they get surrounded and we get to see them kind of using a, a series of complementing techniques to kind of fend off their their assailants. And it's it's pretty fun. We get to see kind of a, a solar flare into a tri-beam attack. And, you know, we're we're kind of seeing how these fighters can work together. Yeah, that is pretty cool. And we we also get to see what Goku gets for just going off by himself, where he basically gets grabbed by Nink from Universe 4. And this guy is basically just a muscle man. Uh, and he's just, just dragging Goku to the edge. And his idea is that he's just going to leap off with Goku. Like, Goku's Universe 7's strongest fighter. If Nink can, you know, sack himself for that guy, you know, suck at universe seven <laughs> yeah i mean it's trading a pawn for a queen like you do that every day of the week exactly and so everybody on universe seven is getting nervous watching this happen and goku's right on the brink of falling off and in base form transforms into super saiyan blue for just an instant to knock this guy off of him and then is manages to both knock Nink out of the ring and stay in the ring uh, as well. But Goku basically states that he was trying to conserve energy, but uh, basically had to use it to get out of that situation. But I mean, it's kind of this reoccurring theme that Goku keeps letting his guard down and he keeps being punished for it and he keeps never learning from it. And, you know, you hope someday he will. But I think at this point, it's just kind of built into Goku. Yeah, I, I think that's just his his character at this point, his personality. What we also uh, get to see is that Basil uses the same key blast animation like three times during this episode. Man, I was really like, 
Okay, there's a part of me that is annoyed at the fact that they recycle animation. There's another part of me that is like, okay, if you're going to do it for some of the characters, at least you're doing it for some of the less important characters. Like, <laughs> sure, that's fine. But my thing is, if you're going to recycle animations, don't recycle it three times over the course of two minutes. <laughs> space it, it was... out or something. Yeah, like we'll get to see some recycled animation later, but they'll at least space it out between episodes. So. <laughs> I, I just had to put a note about that because it was so obvious. It, it was real uh, bad. It, it did make me giggle because it was not an important fight, so it didn't really matter, but it just it made me laugh. Yeah, that was the part that I was like, well, at least it's, you know, this <laughs> yeah. part doesn't matter, whatever. But um, uh, I think that leads us into the next episode, unless there's anything else you wanted to... Basically, Goku gets surrounded by a bunch of fighters from Universe 9, and that's going to start us off in episode 98. Which is, oh, the uncertainty, the universe's despair. And this is kind of happens fast. I like this episode for for kind of the importance of it. Um, we get Goku surrounded by Universe 9 fighters. And um, during this moment, Supreme the Supreme Kai asks, why doesn't Goku just go blue and just beat all of them. He definitely has the power to do it. And we kind of get Whis saying probably what a lot of us had thought, but it's nice hearing it. Uh, he's explaining that Goku is trying to ration his energy and that Super Saiyan Blue is quite draining on him. And so he's going to try and save it until the end because it's it's too much out of him. And so he's going to try and fight these battles without using Super Saiyan Blue, which makes me wonder... How much can you get your butt kicked before it's it's more punishing than just going blue and ending the fight? Yeah, it's it, it's hard for us as the audience to guess, right? Mm. Where it's like, you know, Goku's getting pummeled or whatever. Like, is that worse for his energy output than just using blue and beating the crap out of people? It's hard to say. Yeah, um, and we get, um, I mean, we get Goku fighting kind of universe nine mostly by himself and we see him kind of create an energy barrier around his body so that way he can fight lavender who's using those poison techniques and it kind of lets him defend against the poison and keep it from actually coming in contact with his body yeah this is kind of cool i'm glad that they at least address this uh and and give goku a way to get around it i i originally thought because i kind of forgot that he used the barrier uh but i originally thought that he was just going to kind of like dodge lavender's attacks but uh i think i i think it's cool that they find a creative way to use key and uh kind of counteract lavender's and I, I will bring out that goku explained that it's something that him and gohan worked on after the the zeno expo but we were with goku the entire time after the expo so i'm kind of scratching my head a little bit when exactly did they work on that <laughs> maybe goku used one of his uh long forgotten techniques of being able to telepathically communicate with people or read people's minds or something <laughs> yes that's it i mean it's it, it doesn't really matter but it's honestly he, he could have just said well it's just something i came up with and it would have made more sense to me yeah it is kind of funny but Basically, Goku is kind of put on the back foot in his base form against these five fighters from Universe 9. And so Vegeta kind of jumps in to give him a hand. And over time, basically, the characters Hop and Lavender are fighting with Vegeta. And they both get a little bit overzealous, kind of attacking Vegeta at the same time. And Vegeta manages to dodge Hop's attack, which 
strikes lavender so the two characters being from the same universe uh this also distracts the the fighters from universe nine that goku is fighting so this gives not only vegeta an opportunity to strike and knock out some of these fighters but also goku an opportunity to knock out some of the universe nine fighters yeah and we it's kind of a i guess cool quote-unquote teamwork moment between the two because they weren't actually working together but there was kind of a brief moment where they both saw an opportunity and went for it and we get this final flash kamehameha combo that knocks off the all the members of universe nine at this point which is quite quick. The tournament had just started. And at this moment, there's an announcement from the Grand Minister that Universe 9 will be obliterated. And we see all the members, all the warriors from Universe 9 kind of flash and disappear. And we see the Supreme Kai and the God of Destruction flash and disappear. And it's just, they're in a moment, they're all just erased from existence. And there's kind of this, this pause in the fight when everyone just kind of sits there for a moment and takes it in. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's pretty clear that they tried to do this, the writers for the show tried to do this early so that the audience can kind of feel the weight of the consequences for for losing in this tournament and also get to see exactly how it goes down. The other thing that's interesting here is that the angel for the universe, of course, as we know, doesn't get erased, but the angel for Universe 9, we kind of get a close-up of his face and he almost looks... He's got this kind of weird melancholy smile on his face as this happens. And it's kind of, I don't know, it just makes you think like, what's going on there? Yeah, it's a little eerie, but I, I suppose divine beings and all, it's, I, I don't know what I would expect. Right. But um, I think that we we do need to talk about the best part about this episode. And that's Frieza just having a blast torturing the poor souls he comes across. <laughs> oh yeah. I think I put a note in there that, uh, I think the character or one of the characters names is Roselle. Uh, he like the bat like character, but didn't even take the name. Just Frieza tortured that character until he willingly jumped off the edge of the arena. And it made me so happy. This is prime Frieza, man. I love <laughs> Frieza. So that was excellent. Uh, and but that it sparks you... joy. But outside of that, that brings us right into episode 99. Show it off. Krillin's hidden strength. And the episode kind of continues with that pause that kind of happened towards the end of the previous episode with the universe. Uh, was it nine being obliterated? Yeah. Right. And, uh, we get 17 and 18 kind of exchanging feelings over the whole universe elimination. And 17 kind of mentions that he thinks 18's kind of grown soft. And right now, that's not what they need. They need to be androids who never tire and have endless energy. And the two kind of charge into battle with smirks on their faces. It's I think it's really fun. I think so, too. And I mean, the the fact that they have endless power is going to be important throughout this entire tournament for the most part. Uh, we basically also get to see Vegeta starts to go after hit, uh, but he's kind of disrupted by Botamo and Magetta. These guys we've already seen in the universe six tournament. Um, Vegeta actually uses some pretty fun tactics against Botamo, kind of like faking the throw that Goku used on him to kind of switch to another technique and then kind of yelling at Magetta, but Botamo kind of covers Magetta's ears. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, we also then, get a moment where 18 gets 
kind of fooled by somebody who is playing dead during their fight. And uh, once the the trap is sprung and 18 is kind of knocked away, uh, the rat destruction god definitely tells Beerus to suck it in the uh, English dub, which made me laugh. I thought that was pretty funny, too. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, just before 18's kind of knocked from the map, Krillin dives in to save 18 from being ringed out. And we get this kind of uh, 18 and Krillin tag team work together combo where they're kind of knocking energy blast back and forth, almost like a like a volleyball or something like that to fight their opponent together. And uh, yeah, they're able to kind of overcome this opponent with teamwork and knock them off the map. This is one of those names I didn't take because they were in the episode for about five minutes. Yeah, and. I thought this was kind of cool. Uh, basically, Krillin then ends up fighting a, another fighter um, who has who is blind but has strong sense of smell and can basically use that to kind of track them down. And Krillin basically tells 18, like, hey, let me handle this. I've got an idea. And... She's worried for him, but he ends up throwing his shoe on the fighter's nose and the awful smell from his shoe disrupts this character's ability to sense them. And Krillin uses a Kamehameha to knock them off. Uh, I thought this was interesting. It kind of reminded me of the original Dragon Ball where Krillin fought a smelly character Bacterian and Krillin used his fart to knock Bacterian out of the ring. (laughs) So it was kind of like a fun little callback in my mind, but just good little fan service there. I mean, I just, I giggled at it a little bit, but it's, I think you're right. I think it is just a little fan service moment and, you know, you laugh at it, you move on. There's nothing really terribly important here. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did want to say, though, that I thought it was fun. Uh, Krillin also had a a little line where he's like, I'm Krillin it today. (laughs) Okay, I cringed at that one. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, and so basically the the tail end of this episode, uh, Krillin basically gets two knockouts uh, from other universes and then Krillin himself gets kind of unceremoniously knocked out by Frost. Uh, Frost just kind of appears, knocks him out. 18 kind of threatens Frost, but Frost disappears. Uh, I was a little bit bummed that they didn't do more with Krillin. They kind of gave us a lot of this setup and a lot of this like training with Krillin. And he was out like in the first episode or two of the tournament. Yeah, they really didn't give him kind of much to work with and there there were a lot of episodes of him kind of getting over his fears and him getting back into training and him showing what he's learned and kind of getting that that advancement as far as a fighter and as a as a character and then just they kind of just write him off on a couple jokey fights and then that's it they hang up the shoes on him and it just i don't know it, it felt bad especially since he's you know an original dragon ball character yeah, yeah. I, I figured you probably wouldn't be too happy about that. And I think you like Krillin even more than I do. But I, I was certainly bummed because I felt like they spent four or five more times 
prepping his character for the tournament than they did actually using him in the tournament. Oh, which and just felt bad. Yeah, and uh, let's go ahead and just segue that into the next episode because my upsetness continues in episode 100. <laughs> Rampage, the Savage Berserker Awakens. The episode begins with everyone just giving Krillin shit for getting eliminated. And even 18 says that she's not proud to call him her husband right now. <laughs> I'm just like, why? Why did you do this to Krillin? Yeah, they really kind of shat on him. And, you know, 18 and Krillin have kind of like this teasing relationship. And 18 is not always the kindest person. But uh, I, I didn't really like that line for her either. Um, and even like Beerus keeps calling him curly and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. It's just like, this feels bad. You guys are kind of just pooping all over a classic Dragon Ball character right now. Yeah, that was a bummer. Like, I'm used to Yamcha being the punchline, but Krillin's kind of a, not a gag character, but he can be a funny, goofy character at times, but he's yeah, also... He's a, he's a little bit more lighthearted, and he can be a little silly, but he's still, you know, a, a trained martial artist that trained under Master Roshi and fought in all these, you know, martial arts tournaments, and, like, he was there on the front lines against Cell and stuff like that. It's he's been yeah. he's been through a lot with the, all the Z fighters. He's not really somebody that you throw away. No, no. I mean, Krillin sometimes is like the heart of the group, man. Like it's frustrating to see them really just kind of shit all over him. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was not really happy with that. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't expecting Krillin to be you know beating the main bad guy or anything like that. No. But I just want a cool, awesome like a couple cool moments with Krillin, and and I really didn't get that and. It, it it didn't feel good. There was a lot of buildup yeah. too, so the the expectations were there. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely felt the same. But they they're basically trying to cut the cut Universe Seven down because they don't want you know, all ten fighters to be in in the match for the whole whole tournament, basically, uh, just because it would feel unrealistic. But regardless, they basically move forward, uh, taking us to see some of. Khalifla and Kale, where Khalifla saves Kale from being thrown out. Uh, the two Saiyans then go to confront Goku because Khalifla saw this Super Saiyan Blue power up and she wants to know how to do it. Uh, but instead, Goku teaches her how to transform into Super Saiyan 2, where she states that she's done it once but can't do it again or can't maintain it. Uh, and she just kind of uses him transforming as a, a guide for her to figure it out. Uh, and then she fights Goku a little bit. And then Kale, once again, similar to the Kaba incident, gets jealous of Goku spending time with Khalifla. And Kale rages out in her legendary Super Saiyan form uh, and begins just pummeling Goku. Yeah, and it's this, once again, it's this reckless berserker rage. And we see Goku even being forced to kind of jump up to Super Saiyan Blue. And he launches a Super Saiyan Blue Kamehameha at Kale that Kale just walks through, just no sells the whole thing. And it's, it's, uh, that's kind of nutty to me, but it really does prove how powerful Kale is, I guess. But we, we see Kale definitely lose control at this point, and the entire arena is just showered by energy blasts. And people are being just knocked around left and right, fights are being interrupted. And it's at this point we see Jiren kind of step in and do something for the first time we've seen and just kind of put an end to Kale's rampage, just kind of knock her out and end everything right then and there. 
Yeah, he just blasts her with a single key blast and knocks her unconscious. Uh, does not knock her out of the ring, however. Yes, she's, she's still technically in the fight. Right. And at that point, the wrap-up for that episode is Goku challenging Jiren, saying, Fight me! Which, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we all want, right? I mean, that's that's what everybody's waiting for, that's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, in episode 101, the Warriors of Justice close in. Pride Troopers, we get the Goku Jiren showdown, stare down, and then uh, the top kind of jumps in and the fight's interrupted. So we're not getting it yet. Uh, he basically kind of distracts Goku and pulls in the pride troopers telling Jiren that he's going to just sick the pride troopers and Goku and that Jiren and him top will just kind of save their energy until the end of the match. Like that's their whole goal is it doesn't matter how many other warriors fall to the side or get knocked out. They need to save those two for the end of the match. So we, we get the the game plan of their universe at this point. Right, right. They're kind of saving their aces in the hole here. And so they they send these five other pride troopers. They basically go to fight Goku, but they end up fighting Goku, Khalifa, and Kale, uh, where one of the pride troopers, Tupper, grabs Goku, and apparently his ability is that he just gets heavier and he begins to like sink into the arena. Uh, and eventually, seventeen and eighteen step into the fight to even the odds, making it a five on five, um, and. There becomes a point where one of the pride troopers uses their dimensional void power to cut off Goku and the androids from Kale and Khalifa. And they're basically trying to finish off these two Saiyans uh, before the others can intervene. But Kale, once more, kind of feeling this kind of worthlessness about herself, goes into her berserker well not this time actually not berserker rage but she transforms into her legendary super saiyan kind of controlled in like a stable form and khalifa and kale are able to key blast four i believe four of the uh pride troopers off of the arena three of them get knocked off from the uh the the key struggle um one of them escapes through like a little dimensional bubble but 18 kind of walks up and throws it off the uh, edge. So it is effectively four. Just a l- right. you get there a little bit more comically. Yes. Yeah. Good point. There's, there's a little bit of a delay there. Um, the, I mean, the fight there is fine. Nothing crazy, special or noteworthy. I don't think. No. And in um, all honesty, there's, there's quite a bit of this throughout the tournament of powers that you, there's a lot of fighting, but there's a lot of kind of mediocre animation. And this falls into that category of nothing really, stood out to me as far as this fight goes it was just i mean you know it's it's there the animation's not great the techniques and all that other stuff aren't super interesting it's just kind of a key struggle Eh, you know yeah they were fine like i liked the void power that was kind of cool the power of the guy getting heavier was weird i don't know that it was useful but i don't mind that if there's something else that goes along with it but the (laughs) This is my one shtick. I get heavy. I need a little bit more than that. Yeah, you can't really argue with that. Uh, but we basically move to seeing a, a glimpse of Master Roshi and Tien fighting together. Uh, one of the techniques here I really liked, it was uh, Master Roshi's lightning flash. And this was cool to me because this is, again, another throwback to OG Dragon Ball. 
I think the first time that we see this technique is when Master Roshi is fighting Goku in the first, uh, I'm going to call it the Tenkaichi Budokai, the uh, World Martial Arts Tournament. Um, but Master Roshi uses it to hold Goku in place, and it's the time that uh, Goku turns into the great ape form. Um, and so it was It was cool to see that brought back. We haven't seen that technique in a while. Yeah, and then you get to see it kind of working in tandem with Tien, who's blasting people off as Master Roshi picks him up and holds him there. It's, I mean, it's fun. I like seeing a little bit of that teamwork kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I... I think that's all the notes I have for that one. Did you have anything else for that episode? No, I mean, that's that's pretty much it for that one. I think that leads us right into episode 102, which is The Power of Love Explodes, Universe 2's magic, Magical Girl Warriors. Oh, boy. Here we go. All right. So <laughs> the battle stops. Universe 2 makes an announcement. It's going. It, it's the song of love and victory. We There's a lot of Magic Girl stuff going on right now. <laughs> So we get the announcement from the Universe 2's God of Destruction, and we get this magic girl transformation. Well, we were getting one until Android 17 interrupts it. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Uh, So we get this big questioning of 17 as he interrupts his animation, and people are looking at him. He's like, well, they left themselves wide open. And we get the magic girls, Goku, and even Top all walk up and start scolding 17 for making what is probably an actually tactical move. But eventually 17 relents and uh, the, they restart the transformation. I love this so much. I had a good this, deal. Oh my God. Not only do they bring in like magical girl tropes into Dragon Ball, which is fun, but they also are very self-aware and making fun of themselves for every god freaking fight they let the bad guy transform into their final form let's talk about frieza cell boo whatever uh but they always let them transform and do not attack them in the process (laughs) and this is 17's like what the fuck guys like they were wide open (laughs) oh it makes me laugh and i will say i I found this stuff funnier the second time around because I wasn't waiting week for week by week for each episode. When I'm watching all this stuff at once, I can spend an episode just having some fun and laughs and all that other stuff. And it's not a big yeah. deal. But when, you know, I spend an episode and it's kind of filler fighting and then I spend an episode and it's just Krillin being knocked off and everyone ripping on him. And then I spend an episode and it's magical transformations like it's week by week. This was honestly miserable for me. But when I'm watching it all at once, it's much more tolerable. Yeah, we were talking about that off the podcast. The The pacing for this is much better when you're just able to watch it continuously because uh, there there is some uh, kind of goofy gag stuff in here, which which is fun. But when you're watching it week to week, you want you want some meat and potatoes to to kind of get. Through oh, yeah. If show. you're if you're actually buying into this tournament of power, like you don't want to just spend episodes doing jokes. It's you know, this is. This is the final boss, basically, or the final level. I I want to be involved in it. Absolutely. Uh, basically, the, this episode kind of turns into the the three girls from Universe 2. They transform. We're kind of flipping the traditional magical girl transformation trope on its head here, too, because the girls before their transformation are kind of these, you know, cute, slender girls uh, and at least one of them, Rebrianne, kind of transforms into this heavier, plumper girl 
there's even comments from the audience who are like, oh, goodness, I thought that she was more attractive before she transformed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. According to (laughs) Weasley. This whole thing kind of culminates into uh, 17 fighting against several of these Universe 2 characters. Uh, I think he fights Kakunza, the Beast Girl, and the Bird Girl. And we get some really cool animation here for 17 kind of fighting them, kind of bouncing around the arena, uh, knocking both the Bird Girl. I, I think he knocks Kakunza out and she's saved by the Bird Girl. And then he eventually knocks the Bird Girl out and then the Beast Girl as well. Yeah, and it's this kind of moment where you see 17 kind of start taking the battle seriously after he's kind of knocked back after thinking he had uh, knocked out Kakunza. And there's this big shift in demeanor, and it goes from kind of this... I, I 17 has almost been kind of playful up to this point, and that's gone right. now. And he wastes no time making sure that Bird Girl is knocked off the edge, and this kind of enrages Kakunza. And, uh, yeah, 17 kind of plays off of this rage and kind of lulls Kakunsa into this false sense of security, draws her in close, and then catches her kind of on the edge of his shield. And then using that moment of vulnerability, blasts her off the edge of the arena and eliminates her. Yeah, this is a cool moment. The Using the shield as kind of like a trap, almost like a bug zapper is the way that it, what it looked like or reminded me of. But it was it was really cool in, in the fight choreography and the animation. Yeah, it, honestly, it was animated. I'm not going to say it's their best animation, but it was animated fairly sure. well, and I did enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I think that mostly wraps up that episode. There. Yeah, I think that um, brings us into 103. Gohan Be Ruthless, the showdown with Universe 10. And uh, we begin this episode with Brienne turning her ire towards Android 17, who at this point is now kind of playing along with being the villain. He's back into his... Uh, little bit more playful side and uh i i actually did enjoy it i love this part uh yeah she she labels 17 a villain for knocking out her allies and 17's kind of like you said playing along he's almost mocking her at first for labeling him a villain basically saying like i was just you know fighting in the tournament like they were um and you're saying i'm the villain just because i fought back <laughs> uh <laughs> But then he just kind of leans into the role of being the villain. And he, like you said, he's he's really just having fun yeah, with it. He it's, announces himself as Android 17, Brienne's worst nightmare, and just <laughs> really buys into it. And it's just, it's super cringy, but super hilarious at the same time. Absolutely. I love this. Uh, this episode has a lot going on, though. We, we get Goku fighting Rosie. Uh, Rosie is one of the other magical girls who uses key blasts with kind of like these trick movements. Like the key blast will go towards Goku and then stop and then go towards him again, or they'll zip around at weird, uh, weird angles and whatnot. And honestly, I, I liked some of the fight choreography here. I thought it was really cool where Goku at one point grabs one of her energy balls and flings it back at her. And then he instant transmissions towards her and uses these stationary key blasts to kind of lock her in place and then blasts her and knocks her off of the ring. It's short. It's brief little moments, but I thought they were really, really fun. And I mean, it's there's definitely some sort of irony in there that uh, she was using kind of energy manipulation to fight Goku. And then Goku used a very similar technique to kind of like 
defeat her and knock her off. So there's definitely something a little poetic and something a little cheeky about the way Goku did that. Absolutely. Yeah, he's kind of learning like as he's fighting and stuff too, which is fun. We also and... get a... Yeah, we also get a... Warriors from Universe 10 noticing Gohan's fight and they start challenging him. And we get introduced to two characters known as Avni and Rubalt. And these are a little bit different than a lot of the other characters we've come across so far because they seem almost honorable. They seem like they're actually decent characters that just want the the fair fight. They're not in just to to win the tournament sort of thing. And we get uh Obni facing off kind of in a one-on-one with Gohan and we get Rubalt challenging Piccolo kind of in a one-on-one. So we get these two kind of simultaneous one-on-one fights that are happening kind of at the same time. Right. And Omni is an interesting character. He is able to manipulate his energy. Uh, basically, the visual looks like these rainbow, multiple versions of Omni. And the way that it's described to us from kind of Weiss's perspective is that he's able to manipulate his energy such that he can separate it from his body uh, and makes it hard for Gohan because Gohan, as Weiss puts it, Gohan uses his eyes to fight his opponents, but he almost subconsciously uses his ability to sense energy to fight them and know, you know, where they are uh, and how to fight them, basically. Yeah, this which guy I, I like that Weiss him. actually took the time to kind of explain that subconscious side to it, because I think that's really important to understanding what Gohan is actually facing. And it also gives Obni some credit to like the the level of his technique because it's not just an after image there's actual energy or key there that's distracting the opponent and that's much more difficult to pull off right I like that a lot too and you make a good point because if we as the audience were just watching it visually it looks like it's just kind of like an after image technique or so, or maybe an illusion or something like that but it's it's not. It, it, it's definitely a, a step above something like that. Um, and this this fight here is pretty cool. It's It's got some pretty decent animation. Um, Piccolo pretty quickly takes care of Rubalt uh, using a Hellzone grenade. Which, which I, I loved. I love the Hellzone grenade. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, Gohan basically uses a technique. For me, what I thought uh, it was basically similar to what Goku used against Hit where he's basically letting himself get hit so that he can then figure out where Omni is, and then he's counterattacking. So Gohan's taking damage here. It's not a perfect strategy, but it it lets him counterattack and lets him figure out where Omni is one way or another, at least. Yeah, so now this is going to be kind of an ugly fight, and it's turning into a battle of attrition. Yeah. Uh, And, And so after several blows are kind of dealt back and forth we see the warriors kind kind of tiring and at one point omni is no longer able to use his deception technique and we right. see gohan kind of take the fight over at this point and we see him blast omni off with a kamehameha wave and yeah with that universe 10 is now obliterated yeah and one quick detail as the episode comes to a close is we see basically this locket this picture of Omni with his wife and his child. And 
that is right before we see universe 10 be destroyed and we get a quick glimpse at gohan and gohan is not happy about this he does not feel good about essentially helping kill this this man who was just fighting for his family yeah and gohan delivered the last blow basically it's it's by his hands more than anyone else's that that universe was obliterated so i can only imagine the weight that's on his shoulders and i'm i'm glad there is that kind of moment of of self reflection and kind of kind of deep thought because i i think a reasonable person and gohan is would need that that breath yeah yeah 100% I think that moves us forward to the next episode. Yes, episode 104. A faster than light battle begins. Goku and Hit's joint front. And uh, this episode begins with Hit facing off against Dispo from the Pride Troopers. And Dispo is already aware of Hit's time skip technique, which is interesting. And we see Hit attempting to use it, but almost like they don't explain it at first, but it's almost like there's some sort of instant transmission or something going on where whenever hit goes to use it, Dispo's right there and knocks him away and keeps him from using that technique. And so hits immediately on the back foot. And this is not really a position we've seen hit in very often. Right. And I think hit even almost says it's almost as if he's using his own time skip before I can use mine, but we eventually get an explanation that uh, from one of the other pride troopers stating that Dispo has trained his speed to first break the speed of sound and then break the speed of light. Uh, and so he's moving so quickly before hit can even uh, use his time skip hit tries it once or once or twice more. And then hit is finally starting to, get keen to what is happening in that Dispo is using his large rabbit-like ears to hear Hit's muscles contracting when he gets ready to activate his time skip. I thought this was really cool, really cool detail about their fight. Yeah, it, it's, it makes you think, how do you fight against something like that? And we even get... um champa and vado's kind of discussing like could, is could we make noise and disguise it is there something we can do and even vados was like yeah it, at this point dispo is probably trained up so well that he can pick out different frequencies and so there's not really anything you can do to disguise your muscle movement and that's kind of crazy that really puts dispo on just this whole different level it's it's very impressive it basically gets to a point where Hit is driven to the edge of the arena by Dispo. And we do get a moment with Top, who's saying, he's very savvy here. He's saying, it's a trap. And uh, Dispo basically charges in to finish Hit off. And in that moment when Dispo would connect with Hit, Hit uses one of his other abilities and shifts into another dimension, basically so that Dispo can't connect with him. Dispo just flies himself off of the edge of the arena. Yeah, and we see Dispo kind of flying off the edge of the map, and it looks like Dispo is about to be eliminated when we see kind of, almost looks like strands of string kind of fire out and wrap around Dispo and kind of pull him back in. 
it seems like Top was able to kind of get the word out there just in time to get a Pride Trooper in place to save Dispo from from being eliminated. Right. And I think this is Kenshi's ability, and he he saves Dispo here. And we basically get Kenshi and Dispo working together because apparently Dispo is one of the heavy hitters for Universe 11. And so they essentially turn Hit into a living punching bag with uh, tying him up with Kenshi's ability and then Dispo just going to town on him. And that is when Goku steps in, catching one of Dispo's punches in his Super Saiyan God form. And we get what I think is a super cool fight with Super Saiyan God Goku and Hit teaming up against two of the Pride Troopers. Oh yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Um, and I like Hit as a character. I like his fighting techniques. I think he's one of the the few new characters who's br- brought a whole new fighting style to Dragon Ball. So I, it's a joy every time I get to see him. And then seeing him kind of stand shoulder to shoulder with Goku was I thought it was a lot of fun. Once again, it felt like fan service, but I it think is. I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's fan service that I'm totally into. <laughs> uh, and so. We basically start this part of the fight with Goku is using his Super Saiyan God form for speed. Uh, And there's a moment where he's kind of getting beat up by Dispo because Dispo's still faster. Uh, But Goku then uses his Super Saiyan Blue form, transforming into it at the very moment of impact so that he can gain a burst of speed and power without giving up too much or using too much energy. So Goku's kind of using his head here, which is pretty neat. We do see that uh, Hit is able to kind of defeat his opponent pretty quickly and return back to the fight with Dispo. And we already start seeing Hit adapting to the fight. He's had enough time to kind of think about it and just his ability to kind of level up and figure things out. And I love it. I love the fact that we went from Dispo more or less just beating Hit back to Hit thinking about it coming up with new techniques and then just I think at this point being more powerful than Dispo. Yeah, absolutely. This might be one of my favorite parts where Hit at this point uses his flexing muscles the same way that he would to activate his time skip and he uses it as a feint. So he flexes his muscles but doesn't do the time skip. Instead, times his attack knowing that dispo is going to charge in at him to counterattack that same charge of dispos and this is awesome this is, is one of the kind of like how goku fought hit by just predicting what his opponent was going to do sort of thing where it's i can't i just have to predict what you're going to do <laughs> it was but this is even a step above that because you have the you have faint the of just the yep. muscle flex so this is incredible i love this um, and this also then allows Hit to use his time skip because Dispo doesn't know if it's going to be a feint or not. And now Dispo's all like, Hit is in his mind at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, and so Hit, Hit is just going to town and he now has the upper hand against Dispo. Yeah, it's I, it's a brilliant fight. And I think at this point, this is when Dispo decides that it's this battle's kind of gotten out of control. His teammate was eliminated and he retreats at this point. He's pushed back. He can't he's decided he cannot win this fight. And we get this brief moment where 
Uh, after Dispo retreats, Goku asks Hit if, all right, well, is it our turn to fight at this point? And uh, they both kind of agree to just kind of settle things at the end of the match if they're the last two remaining. And so we get this kind of respective warriors walk away. Yeah, yeah, this is this is kind of teasing a, a rematch between Goku and Hit, which is pretty fun. Uh, for the most part, though, I, I love that episode. Super good episode. I think that really takes us into the last episode that we're covering. For yes, time. yes. Episode 105, A Fierce Battle. The Turtle Sage Stakes His Life. And this episode is all about Master Roshi, and I love me some Master Roshi. But, uh... I'm going to skim past the first couple of minutes because we get Master Roshi fighting off the seductive <laughs> forces of some young lady opponent. And uh, after that, he faces off against a talisman artist of the fourth universe. She uses like this illusion magic. She's throwing out these talismans. She's kind of using shadow and deception, which is it's fun. It's something new and different. And kind of that weird magical side of Dragon Ball's always kind of been there in the background. Not so much recently, but I think in old Dragon Ball, we saw a lot more of that sort of thing. But right. we see Master Roshi whipping out kind of an old Dragon Ball technique to fight this uh, old style villain. And we get to see the evil containment wave get launched into action. And he seals away the, I honestly didn't find her name, the talisman artist into a jar and pops her right off the edge of the map. So within the first few minutes of the episode, Master Roshi's already eliminated two fighters. I freaking love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love getting to see Roshi be useful. I like seeing callbacks to old techniques like his lightning flash and the evil containment wave. There is a little bit of controversy uh, between the gods of destruction saying, you know, is the... Is the vial that he uses for the evil containment wave? Is it an item? Should he be allowed to use it? And Zeno says, it's fine. It was cool. I liked it. Um, Once but, again, the the rules are whatever uh, the Zenies say they say they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're kind of wibbly wobbly here. But uh, but yeah, I think like you said, this kind of takes us to what would be the meat of this episode with Master Roshi versus Ganos from Universe 4. Yes, and upon approaching Master Roshi, Master Roshi mentions that, uh, uh, does everybody in the fourth universe want to get their butt kicked by me? <laughs> Which I really <laughs> appreciated. <laughs> but yeah, we see uh, Ganos, who looks fairly normal, kind of a smaller opponent. Um, he transforms and kind of charges up into this weird duck monster thing. Um, I'm not yeah. sure exactly what it's supposed to be, but we see kind of this bulking up, which is not anything we haven't seen before. But after bulking up, he charges into Master Roshi, who's easily tiptoeing around all the attacks and while tiptoeing around all the attacks, kind of lecturing his opponent about what he's doing wrong. And it's hilarious. I like this a lot. Yeah, Master Roshi is just easily dodging what he I think he even calls predictable attacks uh, he uses almost like this Aikido style of fighting where he's just redirecting the energy uh, and just letting this guy kind of beat himself up. And uh, a little ways through the fight, as Master Roshi has the upper hand, this bird, Ganos, charges up his power uh, and then he eventually makes a successful attack and then a sequence of attacks. 
Uh, Roshi tries to use another technique. Uh, this one I'm actually not familiar with. He, he may have used this in OG Dragon Ball at a time that I don't recall, but he basically tries to hypnotize him and put him to sleep. Uh, and so Ganos uses his electric power to shock himself to keep himself awake and kind of get him out of this hip hypnosis. Uh, and this kind of takes us into what I think is probably the best part of this episode where there's um, people are calling out to Roshi. I, I think like it might be Goku and Krillin are calling out to him because they see Roshi in trouble and Goku's tied up with another, another fighter at the moment. Uh, but they're they're worried for Roshi. They see that he's kind of in a bind and they're telling him things like, you know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, you're kind of past your prime, like accept your limitations. And there's some great lines from Master Roshi here where he says things like, my limitations can go straight to hell. <laughs> and, and then he says things like, I'm kind of paraphrasing these at this point, but he says like, it's it's too soon to let the limits of age um, uh, he doesn't want the the limits of age to force him to sit on the sidelines. And he says like to about Krillin and Goku kind of telling him to, you know, take it easy. He's like, you boys keep surpassing your limits and you want me to take it easy. Like, and then he has some great lines about uh, the, the turtle school of martial arts where he says, you know, it's all about working hard, studying Actually, I well. Got it, I got it right here. Unless Do you have you it here? It. Yeah. No, go for it. Go he for says, it. He says, now listen to me, boys. As he's calling out to Goku and Krillin very specifically. He says, always remember these words. Work hard, study well, eat and sleep plenty. That is the Turtle Hermit way. We must master the art of peace in addition to the art of war. The Turtle Hermit School will be with you always. This will be my greatest, most powerful Kamehameha as he launches off this gigantic Kamehameha wave. That's so good. I'm glad that you took down that whole quote because I loved it. I was trying to like get it down while I was watching it. Uh, but I think everybody listening can tell that Dayton and I really love this scene and really love what they did for Master Roshi in the scene. Um, but Roshi powers up, gets to his big muscle form, charges his Kamehameha and blasts Ganos off the stage and we're kind of left with this moment of Roshi falling face forward to the ground and Goku calling out, like crying out to him, thinking that he's dead, thinking that he just expended all of his life force for that final Kamehameha. I mean, that was definitely kind of a, I guess, a leaving letter or, or a retirement announcement when, when he launched that Kamehameha. That's not something you say if you think you're going to be okay at the end of it, so... I mean, I, I get it. And you even have Krillin kind of screaming out that Goku, you need to go check on him as Beerus and Whis are kind of holding him back from jumping into the arena. It's it's a really panicked situation. And we get Goku kind of stopping the fight that he's in, kind of popping into blue and knocking back his opponent and instant transmissioning over kind of in this this rush. And he kind of leans down and he starts using his energy like defibrillators to try and get master roshi back up and moving again because he's he's kind of laying there lifeless at this point and we see goku just in absolute desperation something that we don't really see very often and after a few moments we do see roshi kind of struggle back to life with kind of strained breath kind of telling goku that everything's going to be okay and this is a moment where goku actually kind of breaks down in a moment of relief 
he actually his guards fully down we see goku really show that kind of passion and, and emotion and care for roshi that we something it's something that dragon ball almost never shows that level of appreciation yeah and and what a perfect character to do this for i mean master roshi's been around since pretty much the beginning and i mean outside of maybe grandpa gohan master roshi has been a mentor and a father figure in a lot of ways for goku for for decades at this point uh and so seeing the concern and seeing the emotion that both krillin and goku have for master roshi thinking that he may have given his life in this moment it's great it's this is I want to see more of this in my Dragon Ball. I want to see more of these strong emotional moments and these these strong stakes. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't have been upset if Master Roshi had actually died here. I think that would have been a really powerful moment. Um, yeah, I mean, this 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 moment actually hit in with the Frieza resurrection, the Piccolo sacrifice for Gohan just completely missed. I didn't feel anything there. This is the opposite. This was, it was a moment I didn't expect. It was also not, they weren't really repeating anything. This was kind of a brand new moment. You've never really seen Roshi or kind of an important character lay their life down like that. I guess in a moment where you also didn't really expect it. So it, yeah, it, it hit home and it hit right. So this, I really do like this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much agree. Uh, we we basically get to see Goku kind of limp off with Master Roshi, or more so Master Roshi doing the limping here. Um, but that that pretty much wraps up this episode. Did you have anything else to cover on that one? Uh, no, I think that one that one I talked about in as much detail as I wanted, so I'm happy with that one. Yeah, I like that one a lot. And then I think that kind of so that that's all the episodes that we're covering for tonight. And we've gone pretty long here, too. So thank you guys for sticking with us. But I think our last kind of beat here is we want to discuss the chunk of episodes that is the actual tournament of power itself. So, Dayton, what were your thoughts on the tournament of power episodes? So and I I felt a number of these things the first time. Um the tournament of power, I just even now I don't feel that it's a very, I guess, stressful or tense situation. It just it it feels fun. Like I'm enjoying the fighting, but overall the the tournament doesn't have the same kind of gravitas that like the Frieza or Cell or Boo or any of those have. It just it feels like fun Dragon Ball, but I don't have that same kind of buy-in. I don't believe for a moment that our universe is going to be obliterated, I guess I will say. But I will say I'm enjoying it a little bit more this time around than the first time around, since I think my expectations are a little bit more tailored to what they should be. That and not watching this week by week is so much more enjoyable. So it's I think it's a better second watch than it was a first watch. I think I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I... I don't think anytime you have a tournament, it it certainly can't have the same stakes that something like a like a cell or a Frieza can have just where they could, you know, well, hold on. Kill cell was a tournament. Or, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> for a minute and then he got rid of for, it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
but that the, yeah, even that is kind of like tacking a tournament onto like this world destroyer, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think here it's almost the opposite, where they take a tournament and they try to tack on stakes to the tournament by saying, hey, if you don't win the tournament, your universe is going to be destroyed. But... Uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't hit home right i don't know what i don't really have a great idea for how they could make it hit home better but i felt the same way that you feel where i didn't believe for a second that our universe was going to get destroyed i think a lot of people kind of saw the the end like what they wish for at the end of this tournament i think a lot of people kind of saw that coming yeah and and i think it was i mean I thought it was obvious from the first watch that, oh, that Jiren, that guy, he's the most powerful guy. Okay, well, that's going to be the last fight. <laughs> like, we're getting there, I mean, which is which is fine. You know, it's not uncommon for Dragon Ball to preview the the main villain, and then you got to work your way up to it. That That doesn't bother me, but I mean, it's, I don't know. There's a lot of this feels like it was kind of predictable, and, and that's fine, but I don't know. There so far, I mean, I guess we're we're judging the the first part of the tournament of power, and I mean, I will say it's it's at least fun. They at least have like the magic girl stuff, and their the sense of humor is a little bit better here than it was at the beginning of Super. Um, not perfect, but better. So, I mean, overall, it's you know, it's not a bad watch. I'm I'm having fun, and uh, I mean, up to this point, I'd be looking forward to where where this is gonna go. Yeah, and. I want to add, we we kind of talked about maybe some of the negatives. I do want to say, too, I agree. I think it is it is fun. It is better to watch this as a whole rather than watching it week to week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pacing feels much, much better, much smoother. And I, I think also at this point in Dragon Ball Super, we are getting to the to the point where super has kind of picked up its stride and kind of figured out what it's doing a little bit better than in some of the earlier arcs, especially the first two arcs. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. The, the, the animation is, even though there are still moments of bad animation, the animation is improved. Definitely. The fight choreography is improved. The music is improved. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on in the tournament of power that I very much enjoy. Uh, even if I don't necessarily buy the stakes that they are trying to present to us in the tournament. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you with a lot of that. It's I mean, it's it's fun Dragon Ball fighting. And that's that's kind of the way I'm looking at this right now, even on the second watch. And it honestly, it makes it a lot more enjoyable if you're not taking this too, too seriously. If you're just having if you're here for just a fun, quick Dragon Ball watch or not quick, but <laughs> you're you're. I think you're going to have a good time. Don't expect kind of, I guess, previous Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z where things are a little bit more heavy and that, you know, it does feel like characters could be killed or planets could be exploded or something like that. This this doesn't feel like that, but that's fine, I guess. Um, I'm just here to watch some some ass kicking. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you If you go into this expecting the same the same themes and the same elements that you get out of Dragon Ball Z, there's a fair chance you'll be disappointed. But if you treat this as kind of its own entity, uh, it's fun. It's entertaining. And we haven't even gotten to the best parts of the tournament of power yet. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. This is just kind of the, kind of the intro. Absolutely. But 
we've gone almost well we've gone over three hours at this yeah, point yeah buddy uh, this is a long one. We tried to condense down some of the shorter episodes as best as we could. We did not do as well of a job as we would have liked. <laughs> uh, but I think for the most part, that's going to wrap up our coverage. Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss? No, I think uh, I think I talked thoroughly enough this episode. Yeah, I think we're both going to have uh, <laughs> sore throats for tomorrow after talking for three hours. Absolutely. <laughs> So I think that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this, the first half of the Tournament of Power. Be sure to join us on the next episode as we cover the second half of the tournament and the final episodes of Dragon Ball Super. Will Universe 7 come out on top? Will Goku surpass his limits yet again? Uh, who am I kidding? We all know that's going to happen. But <laughs> how will he do it? Find out uh, next time. Ooh, I'm so excited. Woo. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there. And remember to keep rocking the dragon. I am so fucking ready for bed. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>